soul an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome to the first ever WWF Survivor Series. It is November 26, 1987 in the Legacy Series. While this is Thanksgiving night, while this is the holidays, the festivities, behind the scenes, we are in a short, direct war that will take Crockett from expanding to cutting them out. Uh, at the knees in a year, they will sell to Turner. This is the night where Survivor Series is put up against Starcade. Starcade moves to the afternoon so they can both thrive. Vince McMahon tells uh, cable companies or pay-per-view providers, if you carry both, you will not get WrestleMania 4. And what a time after WrestleMania 3 to have that bargaining chip. I believe there's about three companies that carry Starcade. This will continue. We will get the Royal Rumble on television. The first Royal Rumble at the same time as Bunkhouse Stampede. And then in return, WrestleMania 4 goes up against Clash of the Champions. That is the world that this is set in. But you wouldn't even know it if you're looking from afar because the WWF machine is growing and expanding. We now have two pay-per-views Survivor Series sitting almost directly in the middle between WrestleMania 3 and WrestleMania 4. It almost feels like this is a great military just showing off its weapons in five-on-five -five matches, larger than life characters. It's also the return of the Hulk Hogan-Andre feud to direct contact and the fans are hot for that. It is also the million dollar man Ted DiBiase showing off his character and he is about to make moves that will change the face of the WWF as we know it. In other words, we are in the thick of things between WrestleMania 3 and WrestleMania 4. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague. Mr. Miz fan, the brain. Greetings, Miz fan fans. Welcome to WWF The Legacy Series. Welcome to Survivor Series. As a great man would say, it's going to be a happening. Our listeners are hanging from the rafters and all those wonderful gorilla monsoon-isms that we are going to talk about today. Survivor Series 1987, very first one. 50 wrestlers on the card, if I'm not mistaken. Or is it 100? I can't remember. I have to look again. It's some very big, very round, very pleasing number. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to talk all about it. But I just want to say for a moment, I'm looking at that Starcade 1987 card, and I'm very sad that these two shows could not coexist more peacefully in a world. Because this, this is a great card. I, I don't think I've ever watched this, but you've got... Dr. Death Steve Williams against Barry Windham. You got the Rock and Roll Express against the Midnight Express and my man Bobby Eaton. You got Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard against the Road Warriors. Dusty Rhodes and Lex Luger. Ric Flair against Rugged Ronnie Garvin in the main event. There's some awesome stuff on this card, and I'm very sad that these companies could not play along a little bit more nicely. From everything that I understand... That show was set to kind of, 
you know, really propelled them because it was sure. a lot of exposure. They sold out the UIC Pavilion in Chicago, I think around 20,000 fans. That's not even their area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was a grand, it was meant to be a grand statement. And I think it would have been. And it's so strange to think how fast, like, your big move, you know, turns into the beginning of the end for you as a wrestling company and for Crockett. <laughs> Yeah, it's one thing when you're Vince McMahon and you're expanding across the wrestling world. And the funny thing is, it works because there's no Vince McMahon to come and step on your neck while you're yeah. doing so. So, uh, I, Vince McMahon, I don't know, a lot of people are like, man, Vince McMahon, he's really a genius. Maybe yes, maybe no. He certainly uh, had the benefit of going first. And whether you want to call that genius or maybe just some good timing, that's uh, something that can be up for debate. Yeah, I, when you got WrestleMania as your bargaining chip in this moment, you cannot compete with that. And that's, so again, we talked about how uh, how uh, game changing WrestleMania three was, but also behind the scenes, it became that hammer that was really swung and kept this from being a two uh, company um, wrestling world and more of a WWF and then everything else. Absolutely, yeah. If this had been handled differently, uh, a little less shadily from the WWF side, who knows what kind of uh, interesting competitions we could have seen between now and 1996, you know. So, um, But, yeah, we talked about it at the WrestleMania show. I think that's where it definitively shifted from WWF being, well, can they succeed to, oh, they definitely succeeded. They succeeded, like, far and beyond. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll never we will never mind the fact that in 10 years we'll be calling a WWF that is weaker and one that says we just want everybody to exist. And this other company just wants to be mean. And it seems like, you <laughs> know, true. when someone finally would uh, bring a bigger wallet, then it'll be billion uh, billionaire Ted and, and yes. the huckster and all this uh, petty, whiny stuff. So I'll talk about this a little bit when we see Ted DiBiase. But Ted DiBiase was right at the center of this thing with both companies offering him about the best that they could offer him. So it is a mini version of two companies at war. It just doesn't last very long. <laughs> and not even mini. It's very all out for a while yeah. here. Uh, even in the Monday Night Wars, we don't have like pay-per-views going head to head because it's kind of crazy to do that. It's a big risk because that that's a huge money maker, a huge exposure for you. So if you lose that bet, then you're really yeah. screwed, as we saw here with the NWA. It is, and it is, I guess, again, a compliment to this Hulk Hogan era, to Hogan Andre, to all of the competitors, to everything that this year. Because if you're going to make that bet, and it almost not feel like a bet, I just feel like in 1987 is the time to do it. <laughs> it's nuts. I once looked at a breakdown of WWF expanding um, in the mid-'80s, and it's nuts just if you look just at attendance – like, they would send, like, their B crew, their C crew, whatever, to all these cities, all these territories where they didn't run. And if they ran well, great. If they didn't, the next show, always, you would see Hulk Hogan come in, and he would knock that town over, oh, 100% man. guaranteed. And then it would just be a WWF town forever. It's insane. Do you know they, they sent Hogan and Andre on a house show to Atlanta like, um, it's it's un, it's unbelievable <laughs> the lengths they went to to just take over the country. So I, I'll give them credit. It was effective. But, man, you could be talking about, like, 
the Roman Empire, like just going around and slaughtering people for a while here. Yeah, and the, and that confidence uh, to be able to say, yeah, you know, like you just said, we'll send our B show, and that might get the job done, and if not, guaranteed, what we send next, you know, flips it. So yeah, it's hard. There's not many times in life you get to walk around with that kind of confidence and see it pay off. So. This is also the reason that when we started WCW, the Legacy Series, uh, we started with Ted Turner because uh, Crockett had just sold. And now we're finally outside of WCW, the Legacy Series, really getting the reason. And that reason is Vince McMahon, it's Hulk Hogan, it's Andre the Giant, it's 1987, it's the WWF. And it's just the success of this monster. Uh, and this expansion into, like we said, this is Survivor Series 1. We're going to get the first Royal Rumble very soon, folks. And we're, we're going to about to be off into that schedule that we're all familiar with. So this is the forming of that. Absolutely. What did you think overall of the show? I, I think it's a great show. I'd seen it before. Um, and uh, I liked it that. I liked it now. It's just a very fun show. I don't think there's anything bad on it. In my opinion, if you don't like the style, then you're not going to like it, I guess. But, man, I think this style can be very fun. Um, the the tag match is a big favorite of mine. I like the exposure for the women. I thought they did well, even though nobody talks about them. Um, you've got some heavily packed teams. And to be honest, I love the main event. I, I didn't expect the first time that I watched it that the main event would be my favorite match on the show. But it was. It's a great match. I agree 100% uh, with the breakdown. This is this is a show that knows exactly what it is and it plays to its strengths. It is fun. It exposes so much talent. I thought that women's match was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I there are people I had never seen before who I am now a fan of. So <laughs> that, that introduced me to stuff. There's a very interesting because it's the first Survivor Series, so everything you do is the first time it's happening. So we'll get into it, but Honky Tonk Man makes an interesting choice in this. So the whole idea of who will survive, what it means to survive, you know, perhaps winning the match sometimes isn't surviving. So I think that is also greatly interesting to me that when a show is not 30 years old, everything you do on it is kind of groundbreaking. Yeah, I definitely thought of that. It's very formative. Like, there are a lot of patterns and tropes that you expect from something like Survivor Series that just didn't exist at this time. It's a feeling out process. You have something entirely new, and you get to decide what that is. And there's some stuff, of course, that would survive to today, but there's some stuff that uh, would be kind of unique in this time. And uh, I think it's great. And I think also, when I was watching the weekly shows leading up to this... I really can't overstate, and we we take it for granted now very much, but like seeing so many big name stars in the same ring at the same time is like unheard of for for something that's televised. It's just so cool. Like even in this opening match, I think the opening match is kind of the weakest one on the card, but still you look in there, there's so many great talents who probably did not interact a whole lot apart from matches like this, but it's great to see them together. So, I don't know. There's some cool stuff in here for sure. It is. Seeing all of these uh, talents together, because you don't see it all the time, in right. that there's not a lot of Survivor Series shows, there's none, in that they're not on TV so much every week, and in that they are just kind of larger-than-life characters in a way that not every era can boast. Right. Uh, it is very interesting. I think on paper, maybe the, the, the first match would be the one I'm most interested in. <laughs> I also think it's the weakest one um, on the show. 
I think even the camera, maybe I just got used to it, but I felt like in the first match, or maybe that was later in that tag match. I, but at one point it was like, I'm not, it's a tag match, I think. I'm not even seeing the ring, I'm just seeing the back of wrestlers. Uh, so. <laughs> I love the visual of the 10 man, uh, or the 10 team matches, because yeah, it is just a mass of humanity all along the apron. Um, I love those, I love the first two, I wish they hadn't stopped doing them. I think they did another one a few years ago, which is cool. But, man, yeah, you do it in this time with all these teams and all the matching gear and how they're all real teams. And it's like, I don't know, it's very cool. I love those tag matches. I will say for the listeners, uh, or you listen to this show, uh, watch Survivor Series. I came away with new opinions on several talents. Sure. So I either found new talents or I changed my mind on talents. So that, that right there is worth a whole lot for your company if you're exposing – this many people and you're coming away with your fans, maybe being fans of three or four more talents that they didn't really care about before. That's another big win. Hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so with this first match, I know what you're saying about like on paper, this might look appealing because you look on the face side, it's like Randy Savage, Ricky Stimo, Jake Roberts on the same team. Holy crap. On the other side, Oh, Harley race, Hercules, you know, there's some good people, but then you yeah. got to look a little farther and you're like, Oh no, Bruce Beefcake, <laughs> Jim Duggan and the Honky Tonk Man are all in the same match. This could be a problem. Yeah, and it's only it's so strange because I didn't even think about it until you just said it now because it, I'm really struck. I, you didn't just say Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat on the same team, and I'm already, like, balled in. But uh, maybe my positive psychology study is working because <laughs> usually I would notice the negative and not the positive. But, my God, it is Hacksaw and Brutus Beefcake. So, I don't even know which one like wins the wins the scale between hey that's got Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat teaming up in the same year as WrestleMania three and hey that's got Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Brutus the Barber Beefcake teaming up. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a bitter pill to swallow with the goodness of the good stuff. So, um, yeah, it's still a fine match. Like I enjoy this match. I, I think it's not as good as the other ones, um, for a couple of reasons, but still, it's still a fun match. Like, how could it not be with the good talent that you have on this? Yeah, I will say that, that there are there are some uh, moments in this match and the tag match, but they're also long. We'll get into it. We'll we'll, we'll take it yeah. match by match. But these are really long matches. We're talking about I think about four matches that we're calling here. Something yeah, like just that. four matches all night on a three-hour show. So. Yeah, so think about that. This is WWF, folks, and it's it's, it's amazing to witness. Savage is um, Savage is fired up at per use, uh, ready to go. I gotta uh, say, I love the um, backstage interviews they do with all the teams, where it's like Gene Ogerland or Craig DeGeorge or whoever just standing with this like mass of people, and they're always all talking. And they're all yelling at the same time. And yeah. it's just like this cartoon mass of animation um, and yelling. And just there's something very 80s about these big shouty promos with so many people. And I, I, I enjoy that. I like it a lot. I noted as well that just everybody in the background talking the whole time. <laughs> I love it. And it's also, again, because we haven't perfected the Survivor Series promo yet where everybody just stands like their pictures until it's their turn to talk. And then, you know, they say what they need to say. And that is also just the kind of 80s talent we have. If like it, not like it. These are all folks who cannot be contained. I've said it a million times. It's a lawless land. And 
is a world where uh, Ron Bass is not going to know if he's Honky Tonk Man or Ron Bass in the situation. Uh, Brutus is not going to know if he's Randy Savage of the team. You know, everybody thinks they're Hulk Hogan. Everybody behaves however they want, maybe like Hulk Hogan. And it's just, you, you want to see what the 80s WWF is like. Watch a promo with 10 people standing in the back all talking at the same time. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, the 80s is kind of like one long shout in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, and it's a glorious shout, but it is a shout. Uh, the managers, this is an era where WWF Vince McMahon believed that every heel had to have a manager. And so you'll see sometimes when they go to the heel team in the back, it's like really almost double the amount of people are standing back there. <laughs> yeah, two or three managers for every team, maybe more even. Um, yeah. In this first match, you've got yeah Heenan with Harley Race and Hercules and then uh, – Jimmy Hart with Danny Davis, Ron Bass, and Honky Tonk Man. And that goes again to these manager relationships, these alliances, uh, tenuous though they often are. Um, they're, uh, they're very interesting. I, I like the um, partnerships a lot in these matches. It is amazing to see because this is one of the we, – uh, we try to unearth narratives for ourselves first. And I am guilty of often thinking of Jimmy Hart as the guy that managed Hulk Hogan. In WCW, even Hulk Hogan did not need a manager, so I sometimes downplay his value, but he had an error, and he's starting to lose some belts, which Gorilla Monsoon will pick on later, <laughs> but Jimmy Hart commands his weight during this era as far as accomplishments, so, you know, seeing Jimmy Hart and Bobby Heenan both who are um, making moves throughout the company, it's, it's, it's a kind of dream team of heel managers uh, in the WWF at this time. Yeah, there's a point at which they have, like, it's it's ridiculous. They have, like, Heenan, Jimmy Hart, Fuji, Slick, and Sherry are, like, the five managers. And it's, like, what an unbelievable combo of heel managers. Like, I don't know if you can get better than that. Like, throw Cornette in, I guess. But, like, man, that's, that's an incredible collection of managers. It is. And, you know... I see a lot of bias in everything to like any era that came before. Like if you follow music, go any genre of music and just go to YouTube videos year by year by year. So you'll have, let's say it's 2009, like, oh my God, I hate the 2009 era. I wish we could be back in 2005. <laughs> well, then in 2012, they'll be like, oh my God, I hate the 2012 era. I wish it was 2009. <laughs> but wait a second, if you go to the 2009 video, everybody hated it. So there is that kind of negative bias uh, towards the eras that we're in, mm. and I understand that, and I you know I want to wrestle with that. But there's also a reality that sometimes there was things that happened before that were bigger and better and different than later. So, you know, and I think it's easier for me. My opinions are just opinions, and they're just mine, mm. but they're not as biased in this because I was not a WWF guy. So, you know. I think that we have to, you know, think about both ends of that, but that we really are in a moment that was different and stood out and special. And if you don't believe that, let's wait until we're a few years in and a lot of this is gone. But we are in an era where, where WWF is just hitting uh, like a grand slam every time they come to the plate. And I don't I just want to be clear again and again and again that we are in a special time in wrestling history. 
Absolutely. They are not just coasting at this time. The fact that they're taking over the wrestling world and they're now like very firmly solidified in that role. They're not coasting on that. You know, they, they're really still going all out and they've got to because they're still fighting this war that we talked about. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a uh, rolling over Starcade. So if it doesn't deliver the way it needs to, people, you know, might sit back and say, Oh, I should have ordered Starcade. You know, it could happen. You know, it's still not guaranteed for them. No, it's not. And it's, especially when it's a structure you've never tried before. Yeah. And we're going to see, we're going to see some times where it's like, Oh my God, this match is too long. Or, you know, why is this person or this tag team in the ring for like 20 minutes when they're the least uh, attractive <laughs> uh, person or people in the match? But everything is so endearing in that I don't know how Royal Rumble will be. I don't know if I've ever watched that or not, that first Royal Rumble. Because, but they did a bunch of Royal Rumble house shows. Mm. I don't know that they ever did Survivor Series. So this is a, you know, just, yeah. I don't think they could have because, yeah, it's the time where they were running like three house shows in a day with different teams. I don't think you can put enough people together for a whole show like this uh, to test it out. So, um, but yeah, I, I like, I like, um, it's something that won't last, but I actually like one of the things you said. It sounds like maybe you won't like it as much, but the fact that like unexpected people can last a long time in some of these matches. I actually think that's kind of great because that's not something that you would see later on. And it's not something you would see on a different kind of show, but you could see people you wouldn't expect. Maybe they got lucky. Maybe they're just good at this kind of environment unexpectedly. Uh, maybe people were taken out unexpectedly in the early going. Um, there's a lot of value to that kind of thing, I think. And uh, it also gives commentary, and I'm going to say a lot of good things about Ventura, especially on this show. Yeah. He gets a lot of chances to talk strategy, which is something he's great about. In this first match, he's talking about, like, oh, if someone's eliminated early. Like, he's talking about the ramifications of that, and he's really selling you on it. So that's a good point in favor of Ventura. Absolutely. I got so many Ventura notes in here. I will make uh, quick my opinion on what you just said. It depends on the talent fair. who survives. Yeah, that's fair. In that's, the women's if, match, like, I'd Jim Duggan it. had been the sole survivor in this match, like, I'd probably be singing a different tune. So yeah. depends on how it hits you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the heels are out uh, first. Jesse Ventura says, listen to the reception they're getting. Uh, the gorilla says, a lot of booze, Jess. And he says, true, but you can't please everyone. So, <laughs> I don't know what the point of that was, but it was nice. And then... In this card, there's a couple of times, Hogan and Andre, the sustained reaction that it gets. Mm. And then um, somewhere in this match, and Jesse Ventura will be the one that points it out, not Gorilla Monsoon, is just the absurd reaction to the Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah, yeah. He clearly is on that top tier at this point. It's like, unbelievable. Far beyond flipping honky-tonk man on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> And we're watching it, and it almost doesn't make sense because we've seen, and yeah, we're skipping a lot of time, but at the same time, we saw him as a heel where it was kind of confusing. We saw him turn face, but man, he still is being placed card-wise uh, in a place that separates him from that top tier, but he is being received like the top of the top tier. And so it's got to be exciting if you're WWF, and I think around this time, 
you're starting to make the decision about where you're going with WrestleMania 4. Mm. So I would say if you're watching this show, enjoy these matches. Like Miz fan said, these talents that you don't expect rising up. But also on the main event level, keep your eyes on Hogan, Andre, Ted DiBiase, and Randy Savage. Because while they are placed uh, away from each other, you really can start to see who is who going forward towards WrestleMania 4. Yeah, the big stars, as, as Randy Savage would say, it's the cream rising <laughs> to the top, right? So <laughs> the cream of the coffee. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, though. I didn't even think, but on the last show that we watched, we saw Hogan and Savage shaking hands, uh, exploding the universe, creating new realities, and here, not even teamed up. So yeah. they still, there will become a time where Savage is so connected to Hogan that it's actually very detrimental to him, but we're definitely, we're not there. You know, that's far in the future, and we'll see just how far. But here, like, they're so big that they can't even necessarily be contained in the same match. They are better spent... Uh, separated out, and uh, there is something cool about that. Yeah, and I, I wish I started making a list about all the things I expect to see because of different eras that I don't see, and it's a million times better because I don't see it, and this is another one. Like, Randy Savage, it would be of no service to Randy Savage to have him standing maybe where Bam Bam is in the shadow of Hogan Andre. Yeah. Like, you would think that would help him in a way, because, oh, it's the main event, they're the mega powers, but they just... Even though maybe they didn't know how to make the choices they'll make habitually later, or maybe they had the good sense not to, but there's so many choices where I know, okay, now they're going to do X, and they don't do it, and it's so much better. <laughs> For sure. Uh, there will come a time when Randy Savage wears a lot of red and yellow, and mm. uh, even though some of that time is good, it still hurts me a little bit. And You see him here, and he comes out in this sparkling, dazzling coat like he's Joseph and he's going <laughs> to interpret some dreams, you know. Uh, you, you, it's just, it's so him. It's entirely macho man. This is a guy, and I don't know if people were right about this, but I've certainly heard the idea that maybe he's a guy who could have surpassed Hogan even. That would have been a tough thing to do, but still, just to even be in that conversation in this time and place, that's something special. It's unbelievable that you can even put him in that conversation. I don't even mean, like, could he have done it for a year? At this time, could you do it for a day or two? Because like you just said, Hulk Hogan is a weapon you can send into any era and flip the flip the territory. Like, that's hard to come by in any era. Savage, though, is letting characters exceed plot. Because Randy Savage is now, I don't know where it's in my notes. Maybe I'll find it or, or maybe I won't. But we're now seeing the fire element of Randy Savage is still what it is. He is now uh, under the umbrella of babyface privilege. And he will learn how to enjoy that quickly in the ring where he can get away with a lot of things that he couldn't get away with and be praised for it. But Randy Savage also hurts his team throughout this matchup because he keeps coming in the ring. He can't be controlled. The referee has to keep uh, checking on him. So as the captain of the babyface team, he actually does his team a disservice a whole lot because he cannot be contained. But that is Randy Savage. Mm -hmm. And his one-time associate is on commentary there to point out uh, the mistakes that he is making, which is another sign that you've gone over to the babyface side. Yes. It means you're going to be more scrutinized by the likes of Jesse Ventura, who's calling Savage out and saying, oh, he's, he's running around, he's taking shots at people who aren't in the ring. 
he's leaving himself open and he's paying for it, and then that's borne out in the match, and that's cool. I like that. Absolutely. I also love that early on we get Ricky Steamboat and Harley Race, uh, mm. two great talents in the story that is NWA 1980s in the ring together in this WWF Survivor Series. Absolutely, and 70s as well. A lot of history there between these guys that spans multiple decades. Yes, absolutely. This is just, this is again, if you're a fan of a lot of these guys, and maybe, um, these men and women, and maybe either you haven't watched them in a long time or some of them you've never seen, watch this just for the collaborations and intersections that you're going to see in these matches. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think we'll see a Ricky Steamboat Harley Race match uh, anywhere in our watching. Um, they may be out there, but yeah, if you're just looking at the top layer like we are, this is where they interact. You know, this is where they get to do some fun stuff together. Uh, man, uh, Beefcake spends a lot of time in this matchup uh, in the ring for some reason. Um, <laughs> he will do about the third best high knee of the night. So <laughs> they. <laughs> Very generous of you. Um, yeah, I think you're at three. Here's one thing that hurts this match for me. On the heel side, I don't think you have any better than Har- anybody better than Harley Race. I like Hercules a lot. He gets to do a lot. I like that. But Harley Race, I think, is the top. And he's yeah. the first one that goes out. And God bless him, he takes Jim Duggan with him in a double count out. And if that's not the move of a true king, I don't know what <laughs> is. But still, I'm missing him as this match goes on. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Uh, maybe that is one thing that has carried through every era of WWF. We should not be surprised Harley Race might go out first. But it hurts the match, as Miz fan said. But, man, if you're going to go out, what a tribute. <laughs> then to take Hacksaw Jim Duggan with you. Thank you, King Harley Race. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think we mentioned that that's almost what Iron Sheik did in real life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's gone. You won't see him in the... The 10-man tag, but unfortunately, Duggan gets to come back, so that's very sad. I will tell you this. I was listening to Bruce Pritchard talk about the Iron Sheik and Hacksaw, yeah. and this is early in Hacksaw. This is early, early Hacksaw, very. and he said it was a great disappointment because a lot of us are thinking Hacksaw might be the next Hulk Hogan. As unbelievable as it is, it's not the first time I've heard something yeah. like that, so there is something people saw in him in that era that does Ugh. not translate over to us. Um, I don't know. Jim Duggan, I'll give him credit. He definitely could always get the crowd going. Yes. And by all accounts, like he's a very nice person. Maybe he, he was easy to work with. But I think it was Eric Bischoff, who we don't always give credence to, but I think he's on the money with this, said about Jim Duggan. He's that guy that can get the crowd pop, but he's not actually going to draw anything. And I think that's true even in this era. Yeah. You go to Impact Taping or any other show, Jeremy Barash is going to come out back in the day and be like, you know, it, you guys need to cheer. If you don't cheer, we're not coming back here. And now it's time to cheer, and everybody <laughs> cheers. So that's hyping the crowd. Like, you know, there are lots of ways to hype the crowd, but that does not make you the next Hulk Hogan. And thankfully, uh, we did not get any major experiments on that level because I will go ahead and tell you that Hacksaw would not have carried the day. I do not think so. I'm trying to remember... It was right after some big show. Andre transitions kind of out of the main event. His first feud is with yes. Jim Duggan. It's coming soon. It's coming yes. soon, yeah. And Jim, the whole thing is Jim Duggan like knocked him out with his stupid board. And I'm just like, that's not 
That's not what a hero does. Not even Hogan would use like a board, a weapon to knock out Andre and treat it like it's his great accomplishment. That tells you that. I think that's the thing that hit when I heard because if you have for those that listen, to, I know we have some listeners who either listen to something to wrestle or used to. They very much are in character. Like Bruce Prichard is playing the WWF guy as much as he is, and uh, Conrad's playing a lot of different things, just the contrarian. But at the same time, you sometimes hear lines, and they just ring true. And when he said that thing about Hacksaw, it just hit me as like this is an absolute truth that Hacksaw would be in consideration to be the top of the WWF. And then, like you just said, marry that with the fact that we are soon going into a Hacksaw-Andre program. And they really, you know, that was the trajectory. And my God, I don't know where you, do you, do you drop Savage? Do you drop Warrior? Like, where does Hacksaw, who, who does Hacksaw replace in the history of professional wrestling? I do wonder. Thankfully, no one. <laughs> I, I think he would be a downgrade for anyone. At least for me, I know some people love uh, the Hacksaw. That's fine for you. But for me, that would have been a downgrade. And again, we talk about how foolish this is that WWF almost did this. WCW did put Beefcake in the main event Starcade, so, yep. you know, both companies get it. <laughs> Choices matter. The people you put in that main event, it matters a lot. I really see Beefcake like as the weak, weak link in this. Because Hacksaw, again, it's like Sid as a heel. Like, even when you weren't a fan of Sid, you're like, oh, he plays to the crowd, and the crowd responds to him. Like, Hacksaw gets a response. Like, it's, it's a big... Beefcake, to me, is just like the watered-down moments in this match. Every time I'm kind of fading out, I'm like, oh, Beefcake's in the ring. Yeah, Beefcake, he had his share of popularity, and I think we're going to yes. see it grow from this point. But, yeah, I don't know, very unexciting in this match. He is probably the weakest link that, uh, I mean, he's a weaker link than Honky Tonk Man, who I'm not a big fan of, but at least, yeah, there are certain things he does well. I don't know what Bruce Beefcake does well. Uh, be carried in a tag team by Greg Valentine is the only thing I've really seen him do well. So there are me. I'm starting to have a bias. I don't know what the height is, what the body type is, but there's a Bruce Beefcake, Honky Tonk Man level of like kind of like a, a little bit tall and thin and kind of just straight, straightforward. They don't bend a lot. They just kind of exist in a, in a standing <laughs> a bit posture. Lanky, maybe. Yeah, and they're, they're not getting it done for me. Uh, even Jesse Ventura says uh, what Honky has to replace his lack of ability <laughs> in this show. So Honky's, yeah. Honky's got that push, though. We talked about it the other week that he might that he claims, and Bruce Pritchard claims he held Vince McMahon up, and the way they're pushing this man, I'm, I don't know. I don't know if I I I would uh, call foul on that because right, man, he he challenges Hogan later tonight. You know for the. I don't disbelieve necessarily that that happened because I've heard it a lot, but I still to this day held him up with what? Yeah. Like, who in this crowd would have really cared? Like, they could have just said, Hockey Talk Man is stripped of the title because he's a dick and everyone would have yeah. cheered and we would have gone on with our lives, you know? Like, it wouldn't have mattered at all. So, I don't know. What was he going to go to the NWA and, like, turn them around? Like, yeah. what the fuck was his bargaining chip? I don't understand it. <laughs> None of it makes sense. Like, even I was thinking, this is a promotion that if you are even regionally Southern, you got to work 12 times as hard just to get attention on TV. Mm-hmm. And yet, the honky-tonk man would find so much success as kind of, kind of an Elvis ripoff. 
in the WWF and nowhere else. Like there are so many strange elements to the whole honky tonk man WWF thing. Like none of it makes sense, but it keeps on happening and it has a lot of force behind it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And it could come down just to I don't know what the politics are, but if somebody liked him in the back, if Vince yeah. liked him, or if one of Vince's, you know, top guys liked him, that honestly could be enough right there. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's as simple as that. That's one thing I have learned, if nothing else from Pritchard, is there are many errors where either Vince has a strong opinion, which will always be a thing, or Vince is kind of standoff, but Pat Patterson or Pritchard has an opinion. Mm. And I think some things that we'll never see is that either a guy was unlikable behind the scenes or they just didn't really get the business as much as they should. And, you know, they're just going to be sunk. Or like you just said, they're just going to, someone's going to have their hand under them and propel them, you know, relentlessly. And who knows what it is. I'm not, I'm not even mad at them. Like beefcake, beefcake did, like you said, was over at times. Honky is over here. It's just some that me as a wrestling fan, every time the honky tonk man is in a match, whether I like him, dislike him, has nothing to do with it. I just always find myself like, oh, my God, this is still going on. And then, <laughs> lo and behold, it's the same few uh, characters who are always involved when that happens. Absolutely so. Um, on a more positive note, I, I mentioned it a little, and I really want to hammer home. I love Hercules and yes. this match because he is carrying the heel side for a lot, a lot of this match. And... Uh, Man, he's great. People should talk about Hercules more. He's just a mass of muscle, but he's, like, just chucking himself around at people. So he's, like, built out of bricks, and yet still he's, like, flying into your face. And I don't know. I love Hercules, so I have to shout him out here. Yeah, I agree 100%. He's got so much uh, so much drive behind what he does. He's always at it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he would have been interesting as a baby face if the right angle had uh, allowed it. I think also interesting we'll as a heel. It. We'll see it at some point. So <laughs> he's got something, and I don't. I don't fully know what it is because it was never allowed to really manifest. I don't think like it could have, but it's another one opposite of what I'm just saying. Like I, I don't always go out and say, "Oh man, I'm a Hercules fan," and he's out there. It's more like I'm like, "Oh, I'm impressed with what's going on." Oh, that's Hercules again. <laughs> so a lot of this is experiential first, because again. This is not WCW, the Legacy Series, where I already have these kind of narratives that I have to examine. It's just like, oh, hey, Hercules. I would have probably fast-forward like Hercules when I was a kid because, you know, he's not Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage or Andre. Or, but now it's like, man, that pale dude really is he's, he's pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, weirdly pale in an era of uh, big tans. So Even that's kind of cool. You know, it's just like. There's Hercules. <laughs> He's in there. Stand out a little bit, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know if I have a lot else to say about this match. I'll just say we talked at the start, Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage on the same team, and that sure feels like it ought to be a big deal. But I think another thing holding this match back is even though Ricky Steamboat survives to the end, and even though he performs well, as always, he probably means about as much as Danny Davis on the other side at this point. Like, mm -hmm. I think you can really feel compared to WrestleMania 3, the de-emphasis on Ricky Steamboat here, and I think that's too bad. Yeah, I, I felt that too, and it's sad because you, like, it's, I don't, you don't have to go back years, you don't have to ponder. You can go back a few months and see that Ricky Steamboat was on a different trajectory. Mm. And again, that's the funny thing about that Honky Tonk Man story being true, if it is, 
because all Steamboat wanted to do was go home a little bit and be like with his child and his and his family. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like, no, well, never, never again, Steamboat, <laughs> you know, never again. <laughs> but yeah, Honky's like, I'll go to another promotion. I've got an offer, and I won't be losing the bell. And it's like, okay, and we'll push you more for this. You know, you need to be aware. Like you're gonna, you will be benefited by this decision. I don't know. I don't know why things happen in WWF, but they happen. Oh, man. Yeah, the weirdness of Vince, perhaps. I think it's a little bit sad that some people out there, I think they think that we, like, hate Ricky Steamboat or something. Because we spent a lot of time talking about how despite, like, being the quintessential baby face, quote-unquote, he's actually a very grumpy, angry, violent man. Uh, and the narrative doesn't match his actual personality. But I'll just say for myself, I love Ricky Steamboat. And the fact that he is like this grumpy asshole at times probably makes me like him a little bit more. So just because I'm calling out parts of his narrative doesn't mean that I don't love Ricky Steamboat a whole lot. I will not say it since you already said it. Um, I will instead say, listen closely to the dialogue. It's not always straightforward. <laughs> We have been, we are on the money with Steam. Like I, we were more on the money with Steamboat's character than I had any idea when we were, when we were first <laughs> making those claims. Oh yeah. So, and that has nothing to do with like or dislike. We're trying to unearth things. You know, we're trying not to just say obvious takes. We're trying to dig in. And for me, one thing I will say is that you're going to hear a lot about Savage and this fire element, but watching him in the ring, he's, that's still there because, like I said, he cost his team several times, and Jesse Ventura calls him out, says he's good at distracting and disrupting. Um, but there's something that I don't know if it's air, I don't know if it's something else, but there, the way Savage moves, his motion, to me, one of the most beautiful moments in the night is Savage is tagged in, doesn't even come in the ring, just runs the apron, the way he ascends the ropes and hits that elbow. It is height, and it is majesty, and it is motion, and I wonder... Because he is primarily fire, there is no question about that. But being a babyface, being a mega powers, being a world champion to come, there's this air element that is secondary. There's this majesty to Savage. And when you no longer are the babyface, that's going to be taken away from you. When he becomes a heel again, he'll keep his fire element, his primary element. But I wonder if part of what the Macho King is, that gimmick, is a way to replace and still have that secondary air and that height. But right now he can get it in motion, in ring, in fan response, in how he moves as a babyface star in the WWF. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great shout. The evolution of Randy Savage's elements uh, will be interesting to watch because, like I've talked about before, Randy Savage in the short trunks is almost nothing but fire. Yeah. But here we see him transitioning a little I don't know, Randy Savage in the uh, the long trunks. Maybe there is more of an air element. I don't know. We're going to have to watch very carefully to see how that progresses. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful because it almost takes – you just said that there are people who think that Randy Savage could have contended with Hulk Hogan in this era. Not only is that absurd to think about because Hulk Hogan is so large, but also because physically Randy Savage is not that large, but – Fire burns away everything. There are no walls that fire can't burn down. They just also sometimes burn you. But and then but you take fire and you take air and you combine them and you get six foot one Randy Savage emerging at the same height as Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant in 1987. And let that blow your mind a thousand times, because if you think about it a thousand times 
and it only blows your mind 999 you're not thinking right it should blow your mind <laughs> very well said uh this match ends with honky tonk alone against savage jake and steamboat and looking at that lineup he does uh what i think most people might have done uh he runs yeah. away he gets counted out and we have three survivors on the face team in our first survivor series match yeah i thought that was very interesting jesse ventura made it better than it was because he says this man is the intercontinental champion why is he going to risk being hurt for a matchup that he can't win and sometimes maybe it's as simple as that yeah that's a, a talking point that doesn't get mentioned a lot uh anymore at least as far as i've heard but it's always been a favorite one of mine when you've got a champion who needs to go and make title defenses all the time and all these house shows you know like 300 days a year or whatever they say why would you sit here and just be beaten to a pulp by three guys like that would make no sense you know hulk hogan would probably do it but if you don't do it you surely have a good excuse that at least someone like ventura can bring out yeah, it's well done because the part of this error I get upset with is that sometimes nobody can ever lose and it gets a little tiring. But Jesse put a nice, nice layer on it that, was like, that made me think, like, huh, like, why would he stay in the ring for that? Nope. Kind of made sense. I like it. I like it. We go backstage again. And uh, again, it seems like every time we go backstage on the show, Bobby Heenan's there. Bobby Heenan's everywhere on the show, That's which insane. is another point in its favor. Um, he's there with the main event team. Slick is there as well. You see Slick and Heenan hugging, which you love to see. Um, it's a hell of a team, this heel team. I'm, I'm going to read it off to you. It's Andre the Giant, Butch Reed, King Kong Bundy, One Man Gang, and Rick Rude. And that is a team of winners mm. right there. So you got to show some love for that. Andre is here for Hogan's soul. It's all about Andre Hogan still. And he makes that face that only Andre can make. And it's terrifying. So good stuff here. Yeah, man. Just watching all these people together. This is a dream team. Uh, Bobby Heenan is asked about victory tonight. And he says, tasting victory. This man tasted victory at WrestleMania 3. Mm. So we are back on that. That is the narrative, and they've let it breathe. Like It's been kept alive, but it has not hit a spike point. And it's about to have a spike point mm. at Survivor Series. It's been simmering for a long time. Yeah, I forgot to say at the, la the Saturday Night's Main event, where Heenan brings out Andre in the suit as a surprise, I'm pretty sure... That was the first time in many months that Andre was on TV, which made it even more of a surprise. And I'm pretty sure this is the first time Andre's been in any match since WrestleMania 3. So this has been simmering. It hasn't come to a boil, like you said, the spike point. But here it's going to happen. Hogan, Andre in the same ring. The feud is not over. The story is not over. They're still talking about WrestleMania 3. You're still feeling those vibrations running through everything. Absolutely. I will. I have a confession to make in the main event. And for those that listen to WCW, the legacy series have ever listened to me talk about Hulk Hogan. I had myself a moment where a weird moment that's going to be hard to confess, but I will confess it later in the main event uh, of Survivor Series 87. I'm excited for this. I can't, I'm, I'm excited to hear about this. Hogan in the 80s is 
an unbelievable force, and not just because he could go to the town and draw when nobody else could draw. He has a, a weird effect on those of us, and this is myself included, that had our pictures of Hulk Hogan down. They were in stone. We knew what we knew. Yes. And we went back and we watched this, and we didn't know what we knew anymore. So it's uh, it's 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 great to see this effect uh, on other people. I'm very curious to hear the details of this confession. It disturbed me. It disturbed me uh, to my core. It happened in my core, but we will get to that. I think next up was the surprise. Other than that weird moment that's later to come was the surprise of the night for me because uh, there are many talents in this women's match I had never seen. And I left thinking, my God, like this is one. Uh, this might be the best paced match. And it's just a really, really good matchup. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, women's matches in this era that I think are underrated, and that's because, yeah, they rarely happen on pay-per-views or other big shows that people would get to. You really have to dig for them. There wasn't a lot of promotion behind them, but here they get a chance, and uh, and it's quite cool. Um, the rundown is uh, Sherry Martel, Sensational Sherry, women's champion at the time. A lot of people forget that she was uh, actually a very good wrestler as well. Yeah. You've got the Glamour Girls, women's tag team champions, which, yes, did exist for a little while in this era. So Leilani Kai and Judy Martin. Got Donna Cristianello and Don Marie. No, not that Don Marie. A different Don Marie, obviously. On the other side, you've got the Jumping Bomb Angels. you got Velvet McIntyre, Rockin' Robin, who is the sister of Jake Roberts, for those who don't know. And uh, Fabulous know. Moolah. So. Wow. Okay. Yes, I did not know that. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I can't place that, but alas. Alas, yeah. No, this is a very fun match, you know. I, I, these, um, Besides the first match we said was a little weak, these other three matches, I think they're all very good in their own way, and this is definitely right up there with the other two, in my opinion. This is one where I agree with the statement you made earlier. I am a massive Sherry fan, so just looking at this list, Sherry is what stands out to me. Oh, but sure. it, like it, it got my when Sherry and Mula got eliminated. Like I was more into the match than ever before because I was like, um, those are the last two people I thought. <laughs> and so, like, sure, like they're the only two that really have a narrative at all now. Um, so and they're it's the, it's the women's champion and kind of number one contender, and they're just getting knocked off in the middle of the match. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it, it creates something interesting, something unexpected, and especially if these names were already unknown to you. You're really going to discover some interesting stuff here. I enjoyed the tag wrestlers. I like the jumping bomb angels. They get very aggressive at times in the match. Like It, it turns into like something of a UFC where they're just, <laughs> just putting a, a whooping on the glamour girls. But Yeah, you know. the, the two... Uh, I, Japanese wrestlers, the two Joshi wrestlers, they're definitely a different breed. And I'll say, if you ever go watch um, 80s All Japan Women's Wrestling, it's phenomenal. Like, it's, it might be the best, like, wrestling to modernize on the planet at this time. Uh, it's certainly some of my favorite stuff. So I love when they pop up in weird places. I like it in WCW. I like it right here. They come in, and they're just like a step beyond what a lot of other people are doing. And that's for the men as well. Yeah. I get to that. I think the narrative in 2020 is that we're supposed to hate women's Japanese wrestlers um, existing in American companies. Uh, <laughs> some do, which for, is for some definitely reason. their own problem in my opinion. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand it because it's weird. Well, this is my entire life, but 
I haven't watched much AEW, but I actually was enjoying the women's division AEW more than the women's division in most. And most people were enjoying the women's division and anything except AEW. And that's pretty much my existence with fandom. But uh, the Jumpin' Bomb Angels were very intriguing. The Glamour Girls having this tag. I think we're going to get the tag match at the Royal Rumble. We are. So we're also building. So this is just really cool stuff. Um, Velvet McIntyre, Rockin' Robin. Like you got a lot of interesting characters, personalities. And you you just learn a lot when you got like Ms. Fan said maybe fifteen or more uh, talents on one show. Uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, and I think it is fifty because yeah, ten, 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 and twenty. Um, but yeah, that that goes deep even in the eighties roster. So, um, in addition to the to Sherry being a great wrestler and to the Jumping Bomb Angels being great, um, there's just a lot of cool people to discover here. I like yeah. Velvet McIntyre. A lot. Yeah. I thought she did really well in this. Uh, and she's someone that nobody like. Who is that? The name is not even known. But uh, she did great. She pins Sherry here. I think. Yeah, I, I agree. One of the fun things about this matchup was like going from I've never heard of you to three minutes into like oh I really like you. You know, mm, it's a yeah. fun experience to have as a fan. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we get some good commentary as well. I like Ventura's assessment of these Survivor Series matches that, hey, it's very easy to cheat in a match like this. Like, that's one of his initial takeaways as he gets into this format. you got to appreciate that. Yeah, and, and Gorilla always giving him the assist. You know, well, you've never, you never raked eyes in your, you know, they're, they're, they always put each other over in, like, they go around the block to make sure that they're not seen doing it. <laughs> but they're always they're always you know putting each other over and I like that. They are and they can be very agreeable actually. They agree on a few things on this show that you might not expect. They're not just uh, diametrically opposed because of the camp that they sit in and uh, you you have to appreciate. It. It's kind of like bipartisanship, you know, between the heels and the faces. Like these yeah. two guys are gonna make some connection, build some bridges. Their credibility is through the roof. To me, because always, I would say about three times in a show, one of them is never the same one. Like, one of them is going to say, you know what, you're right about that. Like, that person was cheating, or this person is dominating, or the fans really are into this person. You know what, you're right about that. And I'm like, okay, I can breathe again. Let me have a moment, and then I'll hold my breath during all the tension, but then they'll let me breathe again. And there's so much credibility and decency in that in, in that little bit of honesty that comes through in an era, like I said, that is not about honesty. Uh, absolutely. It's about your so, own honesty. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll say, we've talked a lot about, like, Keenan versus Ventura. We talked about Vince. I go, we need to talk more, I think, about the absolute greatness of Gorilla Monsoon. Yes. Because um, he is just amazing. What I love, one thing I love about Gorilla Monsoon is that I want to believe everything he says. There's just something about, like, the way he is, the way he talks. Like... There's a match, I think it's in this match, where Jesse Ventura suggests, hey, what if we saw, like, this match between these women? And Monsoon is just like, that would be a classic, no question. And I'm like, yeah. yes, that would. I don't even know what match he was talking about, but, like, <laughs> I believe him, just that he said it. There's something about him, and maybe it's that credibility, and maybe it's just that it's so easy to like this guy, but I love Gorilla Monsoon. I love Gorilla Monsoon. I said the word decent. Decency is a Gorilla Monsoon word. I told you the other day, 
he was the only person that was kind to Jim Ross when Jim Ross was, came in and really mm-hmm. his job was the only one that was at risk. But number one, I think he's a kind person. That's the stories I get most of the time. But beyond that, there is no reason for him to fear anyone because the Gorilla Monsoon announcer fills a space that only Gorilla Monsoon can feel like who else is even doing anything close to what he does. It's just his own flavor and there's nothing like it. So either you're going to say, I want the Gorilla Monsoon flavor or I don't, you know, but nobody is even, you know, there are contenders like here's Jim Ross who did a certain kind of announcing and here's like five people who kind of copied him, but didn't do it so well. <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon just sits in his own orbit as Gorilla Monsoon. And that by itself says something. It really does. I'm very glad. I feel like the narrative towards Gorilla Monsoon is now very positive, and it wasn't at one time. I know one time he had a lot of uh, criticism headed his way, but, uh, you know, that can be or that cannot be, depending on your taste. But I love Gorilla Monsoon, and I'm glad things have turned towards him. Reminds me kind of of Dusty Rhodes. I like everybody loves Dusty Rhodes now, looking back. Mm-hmm. And at one time, like, he had nothing but criticisms. Yeah. thrown against him so sometimes i think time will just uh bear out who the true talents were that's such a great point now i'm gonna say it one more time because i don't know maybe i'll say it a hundred more times i don't know what your show's gonna give us but you talk about like hogan slamming andre jesse and gorilla conceding to once one to each other about three times a show while never conceding any other time is like hogan slamming andre kinds of good to me when i hear it <laughs> It it does uh, your soul some good. I definitely feel that. Because they're, they're both, like, this is the difference, again, with Jesse. Like, the reason you can like Jesse better or worse than Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan is not really going to come out there to give a fair shake. Bobby Heenan is a character who is performing for certain characters. Jesse Ventura, for better and worse, like, if it's true to Jesse Ventura, he'll say it. And that's why, and Gorilla's also very practical. So sometimes he'll say, you know what, that's right. But then also sometimes when he thinks something, the truth is as, as false a, a falsity as it can be, then that gets a little tiresome. But it is something about both men have this respect, I think, for like this kind of practical game of chess back and forth. Got to be honest in your argument, but trying to win the persuasion battle. So I think Gorilla and Jesse sit nicely in that kind of arena. They really do. Um, I decided I'm absolutely not going to engage in any more talk about whether Keenan or Ventura are better because I think it's an impossible question. I think it depends only on your taste, and I think yeah. they are two. They're like one and one A of the best color commentators that ever lived. Um, I'll say this: Ventura and Monsoon, they do have this great uh, respect. But Monsoon and Keenan, they have this great affection, and that is yeah. uh, at, at least as good. And that's my point exactly, though, because it's at least as good, but it's in a whole different like field of yeah. our style of way of communicating. You know, it's, it's never well, I, have to, I have to listen to them more because it's been a long time. But I, my memories is not that it's, you know, oh, you just made a great point, brain. I hadn't thought about that before. It's more kind of set up and it is affection and it's. They both go more into this larger-than-life character style, more, more whereas I think Jesse and uh, Gorilla are more like human beings in their literal, practical, factual, you know, kind of human game of chess that plays out the whole night. Yeah, they, they bring things a little more down-to-earth, 
where Heenan will drive Monsoon up into like the orbit and uh, <laughs> into these crazy places. So. Oh God, it's so good. This is again. I'm gonna say it until maybe it won't be a surprise, but we're gonna be sitting in some year that has a nine in front of it instead of an eight. <laughs> you know, it's not gonna be like, oh well. Last week we got to listen to Jesse. Oh, this week we have to listen to Bobby the Brain Heenan. You know, right? Yeah. We are in we are in the lap of luxury right now in the wrestling world. <laughs> We're spoiled for choice in a lot of ways. I was just thinking, yeah, like the four possible commentary combinations are the main ones, like Monsoon and Heenan, which is great. Monsoon and Ventura, which is great. Like these are all time combinations. But Vince and Ventura is also amazing. And even Vince yeah. and Heenan has like this weird charm that we talked about before so like if they stick with their main four guys there's no bad presentation possible i think in this era but how can it be this is again that this is a character driven time that these are four of the best combinations at this time that you could ever have and not one of the combinations is like the other yeah very true god that's so good now the goal would likely be that how can we make Bobby Heenan and Jesse the same? Well, you can't. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I, oh, It's so crushing to even think about them with Vince of today on the headset, telling them what they need to say, feeding them lines, telling them what they can't say. God forbid, you know, that they show uh, their own unique personality. So um, this is why Corey Graves, I, and you can like Corey Graves or not, but in NXT for a little bit, some people are like, yeah. hey, this guy's actually a pretty good commentary, and now nobody I know can stand him, both because, you know, he's annoying in other ways, but because the things that were likable about him were, like, crushed out of him immediately. So, I don't know. But yeah. If you still love Corey Graves, that's your prerogative, but that's how I see it. Well, he was awake for one moment, and that is a great <laughs> sin. And I would predict that Jesse Ventura would quit in his first week, and then Bobby Heenan would go into depression but keep doing his job. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely accurate. So, but we're, you know, again, this is just, this is 87 too. So, you know, I think I really, when we, I started watching in the early 90s and we started getting tapes and our tapes kind of went from 88 forward. So we filled in 88 to when we started watching. Mm. So what we're watching right now was not even the time that was ideal for me because of what I watched. And it's so good. Like, I, I, with, with the, when I watched the NWA and WCW, I felt like I was always needing to be like, all right, what makes it great? Here are the structures within it that makes it great. Mm. What WWF is at this moment is just a great balloon. Like you don't even have to pick one structure. The whole big balloon of it is just inviting and colorful and entertaining and welcoming. And it's just so good. So good right now in 1987, right smack in the middle of WrestleMania 3 and WrestleMania 4. Mm. I love when when I did um, WCW Leg Series with you, uh, you talked that you were very pleased um, or very validated or whatever word you want to use, that what I saw matched a lot of what you saw when you first watched it. And now we're kind of having uh, a turnaround, even though... I didn't watch this at the time. I did watch this stuff very closely uh, in the past when I was going through all my heat and stuff. And I very much felt like this transformative narrative in watching this late 80s WWF era, which is nothing like its narrative, which is nothing like what you usually hear. They're like, oh, 
well, it was just boring and, you know, it's not good and it's cartoony and all this stuff. And it is nothing like that. So to hear that being echoed by someone who's checking this out sort of for the first time, who's really yeah. getting immersed in it, is very cool to me. I like that feeling a lot. I love hearing that because it is the exact same. I remember how I felt because I went into WCW The Legacy Series thinking that I would like it less than I remembered and that I would hate Lex Luger and that that was just some weird fandom. And none of that proved true, but it started... I I, I don't know if you had not enjoyed uh, NWA and WCW as much as you had. I don't know if I would have gotten into it because I had a lot of wounds from like, hey, this is the thing I love, but it turned out that like I lost my childhood because Lex Luger couldn't win a title and he didn't care about the titles and the NWA went out of business and WCW went out of business and the whole thing is a joke now. You know, so I had so many like traumatic uh, spots around it that I could not move into anything I liked without bumping into something to kind of just like hurt my whole like memory of like my fandom. So it was seeing that and now this none of that is there. I just have a wide open path with WWF and. I really feel like I am just bouncing around on one giant balloon onto another <laughs> because this stuff is just as like full as it can be. Mm. And you just, it's not boring. I promise you it's not boring. Yeah. And they're not just characters. There's very real gritty stuff happening. Absolutely. Good stuff. So. Uh, it's very good stuff. And um, I love to hear it. I, I think that um, communal experience of things like this is so important because if you're just looking at it through your own lens it's only ever going to be one thing you know with with only your own perspective you're never going to branch out and see things in different ways i love to watch shows and movies with people with friends i love to watch wrestling and talk about it like this because i think it reveals uh a whole another level of quality and enjoyment that you can have. So I, I love it. I'm loving it right now. And I think maybe that is where we overlap without knowing it because I have some students that get this and some that don't, but my teaching, I am a dialogical relational person. Like to me, mm. learning comes through conversation because I am set in my narrative and I don't even know it. What I, what I, what I am said in is a habitual narrative to me is just reality. And I go around saying like, oh, the WWF was blank. And then someone says, oh, but what about so-and-so show where it is, you know, without saying, because we're talking about a nice conversation here. Well, you know, that is contrary to everything you just claimed. And if I actually want to be a learner, then I bear witness and I'm like, oh, um, that is different than what I said. I need to explore that. Mm. And so we're always adding and taking away from each other's narratives. We're expanding. We're combining. We're doing all kinds of things. And all you have to do is open your mind and have conversations and get the fuck away from uh, narratives that are just sitting on the Internet saying, I am the master narrative and you will learn through me. That is exactly where learning goes to die. That's why at the end of the show, I say, don't let the legacy be dictated to you because I'm learning. Miss Van's learning. We're coming to things, we're coming away from things, but then we might also be wrong in our dialogues, and you might say something to us, and we're like, oh, God, yes, that. <laughs> That's what this is all about. Yeah, I've had that experience many times with uh, Brooklyn, CB Mac, uh, great followers in the forums, BK, uh, our prof now following along, Benjamin Button, of course. Um, so, yeah, it's that uh, communal, collaborative, 
uh, way yeah. of informing each other and of learning together that I, I just love that. I think it's great. Yeah, and this is, and that's again why Ricky Steamboat, we can like Ricky Steamboat, but spend a lot of time talking about, hey, did you also notice that he's not really that super nice guy? He's actually very mean and grumpy, <laughs> and is he ever not in a bad mood? And he carries it cross promotionally. So, you know, things. Indeed. Thanks. I love Sherry. I can't wait to. Yeah, anyway. Oh yeah, Sherry is one of my favorites of all time, and she's she's great here. Like like I was saying, people forget just how great a wrestler she was, um, and she was great. And she was around in a time when it didn't really matter if you're a good women's wrestler or not, because uh, this division won't even exist a year from now, yeah. I think. But uh, she was good enough that she had to be used. So I don't know how history looks different if she got to continue as a wrestler, but she's one of my favorite managers ever. So, you know, I can't complain too much, I guess. It's someone who knows exactly who they are. They know what their presence is, their character is, and they don't have to try super hard. They just embody what they are and it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sherry's another one of those ones. Like um, I've been watching a lot of WCW and Matt, I loved her right up to her last day with Harlem heat. You know, like she was great all the way down the stretch and probably could have kept going if somebody had, Wanted to let her, but, um, you know, I don't know what the circumstances of that were, but yeah, no, I, I absolutely love Sherry. Yeah, I think WCW often hired people just because they came from this era, but they did not really know how to value them or use them. Like, I don't know how much what's true or not, but Bischoff says, like, oh, we got Savage because, like, we didn't have to even pay him at the beginning of Slim Jim money. And it's almost like, you know, well, that was the excuse to get Savage. Right. And, you know, like, really? Okay. Uh, you don't have to excuse the beefcake mini bidding Starcade or or Honky Tonk Man or Hacksaw, but yeah, that's that's the reason we that we took Savage. You know. So it's so strange. Because WCW was just not built. Like these people could be good in the WWF or WCW, but they're not built to thrive as far as it's like Sting it's the same thing as Sting trying to be Hulk Hogan in the NWA, but the NWA is not built for Hulk Hogan. Right. So I think the best that we're ever going to see a lot of these people is, you know, kind of in the here and now. And that's, again, a privilege that we're in right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a time when uh, legends were made. Uh, yeah, people will get jobs 10, 20, maybe 30 years from now based yeah. on what they're doing in this time. Yeah, absolutely. And, again, my favorite thing, like Sherry and Moolah just get bumped in the middle of the match. Um, we see a lot of single talent that are starting to rise up. Um, and then we also see the – um, jumping bomb angels who are are not the champions defeat and eliminate um, the glamour girls who are the tag team champions. So I think uh, maybe wrong, but I think that's setting up Royal Rumble. I believe it is. So yeah, you have jumping bomb angels, your two survivors. Uh, they also rough up Jimmy Hart uh, a yes. bit in the process of this, and uh, I'll say yeah, Jimmy Hart. Um, I think it's a disservice to look just at his post face turn stuff. Because a lot of it is just crap. But before that, like, he's in this upper tier of great managers. He does a lot of great stuff in this era. So I really want to bring that to bear here. Um, you know, he's not quite a Heenan. He's not quite a, a Cornet. But he's he's upper tier for sure. Yeah, and it's also the nice touches um, of reality mm. that are here. Because next, we're going to go to the back and we're going to see all the heel tag teams and Bobby Heenan and Jimmy Hart is going to come in roughed up in the middle of the promo. He's not just going to appear backstage with his hair and his suit, right? He's going to come in roughed up in the middle of the promo and touches like that 
the continuity and the reality and the authenticity go a long way uh, with me as a wrestling fan. I love touches like that. It reminds me of a few shows ago um, after the Battle Royal with Andre. Like, Keenan is roughed up. Andre is sweating bullets, but mm-hmm. they're, they're just back there doing this wild promo and the adrenaline is up and everything feels connected and continuous and things matter from one moment to the next. And you, you just got to love that if you're a fan the way you and I are. Yeah, it's so good. It makes me think, again, that what mattered in the last segment five minutes ago might still matter five minutes later, and I kind of need that for my storytelling. Absolutely. Uh, So it is time for the match that has 20 people, and 18 of them are standing around the ring on the apron at any given time, and it just the visual of that alone is like hitting me right in my heart whenever I see it, because I love that. I love to see it. Yeah, and I will point out that Volkov will sing the national anthem, and Hacksaw will do nothing because Hacksaw's short little memory is now on something else. So Volkov actually wins this war with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He absolutely does. Duggan swore that Volkov wouldn't sing his national anthem anymore. Volkov uh, just pers- he just went right through yeah. that persecution and uh, came out the other side. So there you go. God bless um, Volkov here. And Hacksaw's in the building, but yeah, like you know, <laughs> yeah, he forgot know, for sure. Care. Now he's uh, okay, so this, mad at Harley Race, so that's that's something we'll deal oh, yeah. with. Now you will not be a king when I'm around. I realize it could be a little obnoxious if someone walks around saying they're the king, but man, people hate kings in the WWF. Like just the fact that a king exists, like it makes some of these people rabid. So. It's also they're often heels, and heels are not supposed to have anything. <laughs> no, they're not, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's interesting because the smallest thing can provoke such a huge reaction in this era, and it's always like, whatever your thing is, that's the perfect thing to provoke the other person. It's like every person in this company having a deathly yes. fear of snakes, you know, and they all hate kings, and they all, like, it's all just in the perfect place and time for whatever they need to hate, so I, I love it. Yeah, because I haven't even watched the build to the feuds, but I'm going to guess Hacksaw versus Harley Race is Junkyard Dog versus Harley Race, where it's like, it's kind of working class, like, no, I, you, you know, I don't like, I don't like your crown. <laughs> I'm going to step on your crown, sir. Yep, you got it exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's also, I will say really quick, it's babyface privilege that if you're a talented heel, you have to either be a king or, or create your million dollar title to have a championship, <laughs> because... <laughs> Oh, well, Hulk Hogan's going to be champion for five years, so maybe I need to create something here on the side. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's you show initiative, right? You know, have some pride, so. But no, it's not allowed. Uh, here's what I want to say first off about this match. We've talked a lot about teams that have reputations for being, like, maybe the greatest team of all time that we don't necessarily buy into. Hart Foundation, British Bulldogs, maybe even the Rockers. I want to wait and look at them again. Um, but I'll say this. The captains of these teams are Strike Force and the Islanders. And I would take those teams over any of the ones I just mentioned. Like these, these are two of my GOAT level tag teams from this era. I absolutely love both of these teams and I love seeing them kind of, uh, first and foremost on the scene here. Okay. So yes, uh, two things really quick. The Heart Foundation, are they the top five all time? I don't know if they're the top five in this match. So that's yes, one thing. Thank you. Like that's true. I went. I counted, that. and I'm not even going by who's the best. But I'm going by who do I, who would I rather see in the ring 
And so I think they might be in the bottom five in this match. So you, for me, then they can't. What conversations can they be in? And then number two, what you just said, Strike Force number one is just absurd. That's one of the most talented pairings of all time. You take Strike Force and the Islanders, and they are just above and beyond. I think what 1987 uh, tag team wrestling is. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not like probably number three uh, is Demolition, and they're. All, I would also take them honestly above uh, the teams I was talking about before because Demolition, like these guys, are such ass kickers. Like they look good here; they're gonna look even better later. I'm a big Demolition fan as well. So that's three right there for you. Um, <laughs> Greg so, Valentine alone may take yeah. the number four spot. Like Dino Bravo could be there or not, as far as I'm concerned. But Greg Valentine is just like, oh, he's godlike to me. Yeah, I can't say because I haven't seen a lot of Dream Team, but th- that was one of the teams I put above in that I was very curious. I think Greg Valentine, I'll take him in this era, like on the same level as Bret Hart and Dino Bravo, at least on the same era as our same level as Nightheart. So I was more curious about Dream Team than Hart Foundation. So that makes, I think, four. And then just for this matchup, like I will say, I enjoyed the Bulldogs. I enjoyed Killer Bees. Like I enjoyed uh, several teams. Like Bret Hart will do start. He starts to get into some of his more Bret Hart stuff, which is very talented. But there are times that Bret Hart's just in the ring too much, and I'm like, for God's sake, somebody Bret Hart and the Stallions. You know, you you can be on the apron once in a while. Was my thought for the match. <laughs> they spend a lot of time together, yeah, don't they? Um, probably more than they should have. So, um, but yeah, I love matches like this, uh, and it's such a great collection of teams because. I also don't know if there's any team in this match uh, that I don't like. Even Volkov and Zukov, like, there's not much yeah. to them, but, like, they're not bad. They're fine. Like, they do exactly what they need to. This reminds me of collecting action figures. Like, the way that you would have all the Hasbros and have them on a shelf and be so proud. When I watched this match, I felt like I was just in, like, this great, like, collector's room. And like, here are these amazing teams and this historical stuff, and we're going to put it all together. And it's almost fantasy or play for how good and unusual it feels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can totally feel that Um, action figure reference with just, yeah, putting all these people in one place is something a kid might think of. Um, But it's great. It works out perfectly, I think. I am completely sold. This is a compliment to you and Benjamin Button. Like babyface Rick Martel is insane, and oh he is god. his oh god he's good and Strike Force like I love Tito so that is that's the team to, you said well the Islanders like both of them to me if you if you made either one tag team champions for one to three years I probably wouldn't argue yeah no absolutely not uh, these are two of my top teams the only team I can think of that is above the level of these two is going to be Arn and Tully when they come in. Mm. And they're, they're my number one of this era, maybe of any era, because I love that team. But yeah, Islanders and uh, Strike Force are just like right under there. They may be my two top favorite teams outside of the Brain Busters from this whole era. They're just phenomenal. And sometimes it's not even like who is the best team ever. It's how could one particular team be any better. <laughs> right. You know, I challenge you on the Islanders or Strike Force, make that team better. Yeah, it's damn hard. I, I don't know. Maybe you can find someone better than Tama, uh, who's a little bit along for the ride, because um, Haku is just so incredible. But it, it would be very hard, because it's an incredibly good tag team. 
It is. And we just saw Z-Man, so, you know, like, <laughs> you can make the team worse, but I don't know if you can make the team better. You can definitely make the team worse. <laughs> the Islanders blew my mind. I, I, kinda, I knew them when I was younger, but I forgot. And, you know, probably for 10, 20 years now, I've only seen uh, WCW stuff, so, like, smaller-sized Haku. And, they, they, oh, God, everything. Again, I don't know why I keep coming back to action figures, but... Back when you were a kid and you bought yourself some action figures, when you first take them out of the package, they are so fresh, so brand new, and they're not going to be for long if you're if you actually play with them. But <laughs> I felt like a lot of these teams, like the Islanders and Strike Force, are fresh out of the package, brand new. Yeah, no, they are. They they feel very fresh. Um, they're going to have a lot to do. Uh, oh man, why why is it? This is just something weird I thought of while watching this. Why the hell? Does Haku and Meng never feel like the same person when I watch them? Like, I love them both, but it's like, I don't know. They're just, somehow they're just very different. Their body types are completely different. Yeah. Uh, their names right. are different. <laughs> yeah, and the promotions they're in also make up. Because, like, again, you're not the same in WWF and WCW. And it's not always one is better than the other. It's not as different. But, right. you know, Meng is, like, to me... Like when he first got, collides with Dusty and stuff, he looks like on the level of a like, and he's more talented. So that's not what I'm saying, but like a Zeus or a Big John Stud. Like he looks like he's a like eight foot tall and ten foot wide guy. And here he looks like he could be in the cruiserweight division, but also like really tough. And you know, it's like yeah. you can't be all these, but you can't you can't be all these things, buddy. But but he can. But he is like yeah, it's great. And we totally missed. He has an initial uh, babyface run, actually, and um, yeah. he he's the one who finally shuts down Big John Studd's uh, body slam challenge, and wow. there's like a whole feud about that just to show off how ridiculously strong that guy is, and that also just yeah. feels like a totally like he could be a different guy. Um, so I don't know if it's just that he's so versatile or that he just kept changing like his style and his look, and you blew my mind right now because yeah, why is Meng? like a foot taller than Haku like I swear to god he is it's it's bizarre but it's cool cuz like he's always yeah. great so it's just a weird thing it's also hard when you this is a show that allows like the space element and the aura and all of that and you know like my next question is how come in in Fall Brawl with Dusty Rhodes how come he takes up both rings and fills it all the way to the top of the cage but he probably doesn't also do that you know but <laughs> <laughs> oh god you cannot say enough about Haku and in this match and Jesse Ventura's appreciation for him shows like how smart Jesse Ventura is because he, he'll call out Haku like throughout the entirety of this match mm-hmm, absolutely one good thing about Ventura and I'm sure we've said this before but he he literally just feels like he's sitting there and calling things as he sees them like yeah. I'm sure he did some preparation, but he was a guy who was on the ball enough and sure enough of what he wanted to say that he could just go out there and just say a thing when he saw a thing and he would say it in such a way that you would be like, yeah, like, you know, just, he's just great. Venture is awesome. Yes, man. This, so I, I take it you're a big fan of this matchup, huh? I like it a lot. Yeah. It's maybe a little uh, long, which I think you may have alluded to. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you weren't, 
thrilled, uh, maybe down the finishing stretch with the bees and the stallions and some people maybe being in there for a really long time. But uh, overall, I really like this match. Yeah, I'm not. I, I would never call myself a killer bees fan, but I I liked everything they did in this match. So even uh, when they fucking cheated to win the match, like true yeah. uh, babyface privilege people that they are. That didn't even make any sense. I, and that's why I, <laughs> this is why I, I'm going to be a hypocrite because and why I may end this era not knowing why sometimes I liked it and I hate WWE for 20 years, but the thing makes no sense. Like, if you're not wearing masks, putting one on does not deceive anybody. Like, it doesn't matter because it's still like you weren't wearing masks and what the hell is going on. <laughs> yeah, it's just a weird thing, but at the same time, I think I just wanted the Stallions out of the ring for a little bit by that time because <laughs> they got their chance to showcase themselves. There's a lot of Young Stallions in this match for sure. And I, I kind of like the Young Stallions, to be honest. But yeah, maybe maybe too much in this match. So I'll give you that. But it's also what was good about the match. Because again, Jet, Jesse Ventura makes almost everything better. But you know, he, point, he starts to point out, you know, I've noticed that the tag team, there's not a lot of cross uh, tag team like tags that people are tagging in their own teams. And you do start to see that, that even when someone's not fresh and they're beat up and they just tagged out, they tag their partner and their partner's going to go back and tag them again. And that becomes a problem in the matchup. And part of the reason that you see some of those things and Jesse putting that on the call just like preserves it and makes it something interesting to think about. Yeah, I definitely noted that too. That was a great point. And it's something that probably... What like I don't think anyone came into the match and say, hey, let's add this piece of like psychology and story to it. Like, no, I think it's just something that happened. And then Chura saw it and he wove it into the narrative of the match yeah. all on his own. And that's that's just very cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, this was. It's just again what this night feels like. If nothing else is, we're gonna put on display that we are that we have so much talent. That we could blow your mind. You know, we have 10 tag teams right now, and this is just, it's just, I don't even know how I don't even have the words for it. It's just showing off at this point. Like, you're already dominating the wrestling world, and now just put on display, like, we really could run three shows if we wanted to, and, you, and you'd watch all of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were just at that point. Um, so, they're definitely flexing a little bit, as they say, but, um, they did a great job, and their goal is to beat the shit out of Starcade, and they did that. So, you know, mission accomplished. Um, before I move on, just want to shout out. We talk a lot about Ventura and uh, Monsoon. Have kind of like the down-to-earth, like the logic, and then Hina and Monsoon are kind of funnier. But, here, you know, Ventura and Monsoon can be funny, too. Um, I love Ventura with his pilgrim hat. Saying, oh, my grandfather, F from the body, he wore this yes. over on the Mayflower. He came over on the Mayflower with it and Monsoon right back with it. And here I thought it came out of the costume closet. So Yes. Great line. I noted Maybe. that as well. <laughs> Gorilla it. is so good that this timing in that one is just impeccable. It's just like, hey, you know, it's so natural and unassuming, but he's also punching you in the gut and the chin at the same time. <laughs> I love commentary when the commentators feel like they're having a good time, like they're having fun with each other. They're like enjoying what's happening. And that could even make up for, even if the commentary is like not very polished, a lot of times that will make up the distance. So when the commentary itself is great and you've got that good feeling, like that's just, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think uh, Brett still looks like the body type of the Hart Foundation, which he will not look like again. But this is we're starting to see the evolution. I saw more Bret Hart moves. He's called uh, the excellence of execution. They're pointing out how technical, how technically good he is throughout. So I think we're seeing a little bit of the emergence of the guy who will become icy Brett. Mm-hmm. It's funny for Brett because uh, I don't know how much we'll hear about this, but I swear from like 1987 to 1990, like for years, like the talking point was like, wow, Bret Hart got a lot better. Like, it was always, like, at some point, yeah. they thought he completely sucked, and, like, he he got better, and they, you know, that was, like, his accomplishment. It's like, he doesn't suck anymore, uh, which is funny, because, like, he's good in this match. Um, he's definitely not where he will be, but, you know, he's good. I just think it's funny, because they will talk about that tons and tons. We'll be like, Bret Hart, very improved, and that's, like, his only yeah. narrative for a long time. He's... I think the the model and frame was always there for what he was going to be. I, right. he'll, whether it's more time or growing, like he'll get more, way more extensive in it. Also, he admits to taking steroids at some time, and I have a feeling it happened like within his WWF run. So like <laughs> maybe in the IC or world title run, because right now he is he has a very distinct um, body type that he will not have for the rest of his career. So mm. it's a Brett. It's a he takes the long way there. But he'll get there. And he takes a long time in matches, so both of those go together. <laughs> he definitely did here, no doubt. I love the sunset flip out of uh, the figure four attempt. That was a nice uh, spy in the match. That was very nice. Who was it that did that? It was on the Dream Team, was it? I don't know if I have it. It's either the Killer Bees, I would say, or the Stallions. <laughs> I mean, it's a good bet that they did anything in this match after a certain point. Um yeah, no, it, it did look very good, even if it eliminated my man, uh, Valentine, who really, truly was one of the MVPs in this match. You know, I, I could really take or leave Dino Bravo. I like his uh, his side slam. He's a strong guy. But, man, Valentine yeah. is one of the top guys in the company to me, just in terms of when he goes out there. I know I'm going to love what I see. <laughs> uh, I, I, he, he appealed to me a lot in this matchup. It's just it's a different Valentine. Like he's he's got more confidence. He's got more kind of uh not just self confidence, but the company has more confidence in him than he'll have later. Right. It's just it, there's something that's it's not his fault. He teamed up with Bruce Beefcake, and I wish they had realized that. But instead, <laughs> Beefcake's going to take off, and Valentine's going to kind of go away. So. Yeah. Not not right away though. He'll have some stuff to do. Uh, I think he wrestles Steamboat at WrestleMania four, and I don't know if I've ever seen that match actually. So I'm very excited about that. That sounds exciting. But yeah, I, I good showing for him. And I'm just curious, you know, like I'm not, I don't really know Bravo. He's never stood out to me, but Bravo and Valentine together, there's just a curiosity about what that team would be like. Right. Yeah. For sure. So this matchup. Um, I think we've alluded to the ending of it. The Killer Bees are going to play a. They're, they're going to put the mask on so you don't know who the legal man is, and that way the fresh man can come in and they're going to get a victory, uh, cheating their way, but it will be celebrated because, by God, they can. <laughs> uh, and I think this is one of those cases where Monsoon earns that credibility you were talking about because even he's like, yes, well, it's not really legitimate, but. Oh, well, you know, but at yeah. least he admits it. He just doesn't like bald face like Vince would have just been like, oh, they deserved it. You know, yes. so that's exactly bit. right. Yeah. OK, so I think we're next up is the Million Dollar Man video package of how does the Million Dollar Man spend Thanksgiving? <laughs> I will just say. I am watching this 
from a from a distance. No, I think when you're a kid, you're kind of just people are relegated to certain things because you know what happened. But the potential of the million dollar man is just so uh, expansive. Like this is, he almost feels like he's coming from 1988. Like he's a year fresher than everything else. Mm. Um, I will say the story real quick because I think it matters in the greater history and why DiBiase is so prized uh, at this era. But uh, the UWF was purchased by uh, Crockett. Bruce Pritchard is close friends with Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase stays with him a lot of times when they're in the same area. Mm. And so Crockett offers Ted DiBiase, you know, we want we want to make you a star. DiBiase wants Lex Luger money because he's like, Lex Luger is just a body. I actually have talents. I want Lex Luger money. And Crockett seems to want to be willing to, like, have that conversation. But Vince McMahon wants to see him. And Vince McMahon will see him, fly him in twice in person and tell him, I've got a gimmick for you, but I'm not going to tell you unless you turn down Crockett and sign with me. Like, he he does not, like, he's so excited about it. And he's like, it's going to be game changing, but I'm not telling you unless you sign with the company. And then he gets called away in the meeting. So it's just like Pat Patterson and Ted DiBiase while Vince is out of the room. And DiBiase is kind of trying to figure out what is hype and what is reality. And Pat Patterson tells him, if if Vince McMahon could put on trunks and climb in the ring, this is the gimmick that he would have for himself. So if you think he's not going to push it, he is going to push this gimmick. And I think that is that matters deeply for this story and for what Ted DiBiase means. I think it matters for the Mr. McMahon character because he will climb into the ring. And it kind of reminds me that this Ted DiBiase thing this is a Vince McMahon gimmick of who Vince McMahon is in real life. And so money will be the front man for it. But the thing behind that money is power. Uh, Mr. McMahon is power. And behind this money thing is power. And you're going to see that throughout with Ted DiBiase just manipulating people for the fun of it. Ted DiBiase uh, showing us his lifestyle is all about I'll do whatever it takes just to be above you and to be able to command you do what I say. And that is the million dollar man that we are stepping into. He's another guy who is not as he's more savage size than than Hogan, Andre size. He's not coming with fire, but he is coming with with power. He is coming with the ability to move you around. And the fact that this is kind of who Vince McMahon is in uh, real life tells us how much steam this gimmick is going to get early on. You know, I don't think I've heard that specific story, but I've definitely heard that uh, this was sort of Vince almost vicariously living the life of a wrestler through Ted DiBiase. Um, and I'll just say, like, I don't know what DiBiase and the NWA would have been like. I'm sure it would have been good. But, man, I always felt like this gimmick and this guy were perfectly matched. And he just he does such a wonderful job with it. They show a bunch of these, like, vignettes and scenes where he's like, kicking basketballs away from kids so he doesn't have to, like, pay them out on the bet. He's telling kids, well, you're just not good enough. And uh, he's making people do humiliating things, kicking all the kids out of the public pool just because he can. Like, I love this stuff, you know. Like, if you had a long mustache, you could, like, twirl it evilly. <laughs> but, you know, like, sometimes that works. And uh, DBS just makes it work so great. Yeah, and it's the buying in. Like, he's not saying... 
I just I just like to be evil. He, you know, he tells him at the end, you know, you're learning about real life and you're learning maybe you need to work harder. Maybe you need to be more than you are. Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you don't deserve it. You know, but who the hell is he? Like, we don't know how he got that money. We don't know, like, why he's like he is. But, yeah, Ted DiBiase steps into this. And right now, this whole combination, knowing what WrestleMania 4 is, to be a wrestling promotion that has Randy Savage on the rise, Ted DiBiase on the rise, and Hulk Hogan and Andre behind it. Like, could you line up, you know, like a better, like, foursome to go forward with? And, mm. it, and again, knowing that we're walking into a world title tournament, they are they're well stocked to do so. Yeah, absolutely. So and it's pretty incredible. If you think I've, I've been thinking about this, I would say DiBiase probably landed about the sixth most important person in this whole era. And I'm talking like 85 to 90. Two, let's say. Um, I can only put him behind uh, Hogan, of course, Savage, Warrior, Andre, and Piper, I would say. And those are like five of the most enormous legends that you could ever see. And just right there at the very top of the next tier, I think, is Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. And it's a credit to him that, yeah, he just executed it so well. Uh, it speaks to that kind of authenticity that I've talked about before is that you can believe a character like this, even if he's over the top, even if uh, he is very colorful, a, a rich guy who's being an asshole, like is very relatable, is very authentic. Yeah. Man, this is uh, the promise of it. And I like the weirdly, you don't really know where it sits. It's this weird middle of the show video package. <laughs> Like, how can you know what he's about to do with Andre the Giant and at WrestleMania 4? Like, you just can't know it. Right. But there is something foreboding about his presence. Like, he's not throwing around money like that just to embarrass kids. Like, this is this is a foreboding of something bigger. But who would have guessed that it would it would manipulate Hulk Hogan's storyline? It would manipulate Andre the Giant, and it would manipulate referees and the very title. Like, you can't know it at this time, but you know there's some there's something troubling within this video package. <laughs> For sure. Um, maybe it's when he made that woman bark like a dog. I gotta wonder yeah. if that's a weird Vince thing, because that's not the only time that happens. Yeah. So, uh, but even so, it, it fit with the rest of it. So, so there yeah. you go. <laughs> I think there's a lot. And again, like I was thinking about like the Kiss My Ass Club and all that stuff that's gonna come with. <laughs> Mr. Yeah, is this not the predecessor to that? It absolutely is. You're right. He, it, there, yeah. there were so many things in this promo that I thought were going to take like a weird, like sexual turn, just like things he said. So I don't know. Maybe that was intended to be a little bit implied. Um, but uh, so that's just a weird aside from me. Yeah, it might be era difference, or it might be the, like a watered down Mr. McMahon can never be as perverse as a Mr. McMahon, Mr. McMahon. <laughs> Right, you couldn't so. you couldn't be that perverted in this era. It would not be uh, tolerated. So, oh well. That's amazing because this is 1986 and or, or excuse me, 87, 88, and so it is 10 years later. You know where Mr. McMahon is going to come on the scene. Yep. Ah, oh, that's so. Oh man, it's, it's mind blowing that the two maybe two biggest eras in WWF have a Mr. McMahon character in them <laughs> at the top of the picture. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely so. I mean, it is a great character. There's a good reason Vince was excited about it. And uh, it's not like it was new. Like, what's the difference between Flair and his Rolexes and, you know, bragging about being rich and Ted DiBiase? Yeah. You know, it's just it's just dialed up a little bit. It's a little more like he's going to wear dollar bills on his jacket, you know, so it's a little more in your face. Uh, it's not new, but it's just a great character. Sometimes great characters you know, similar ones pop up just because they are great and you can use similar characters again and again. And that doesn't take away from their greatness at all. Absolutely. And people have speculated Flair flirted with going to WWF quite a bit if he would have been the million dollar man. And I don't know if that would have worked or not, but there is that, you know, and it's against the difference between like Ric Flair with the money is a very NWA version and it's very, it's wild and it's loose and it does a lot of things. <laughs> Teddy Biasi is a WWF construct and it's very rigid, but it's really good. It knows what it is and it just keeps like replicating what it is. And I guess the difference between these two, like a companies where you just kind of run wild in the NWA and you are orchestrated uh, in, in this era in the best of what you are and you just replicate, replicate, replicate. Mm. But two, two top talents doing amazing things. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Weird to think. Ric Flair coming over and being Million Dollar Man at this time, I, that would have been very strange. I, I, I'll have to think about that some, but uh, I'm it sure is. he would have done a great job, though. It's interesting to think about. Just as weird to think is that 1988 might have been Teddy DiBiase challenging Ric Flair for the NWA title. So Sure. Yeah, good point. Where does that leave the WWF, you know? Uh, they got to have somebody. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting what if in the world of wrestling. And what is Craig? Craig DeGeorge? Like, I did not know he existed before this. Oh, uh, freaking Craig DeGeorge. Like, I, I, don't, I don't really have any beef with Craig DeGeorge, but I'll just say I'll be very happy when Sean Mooney gets here because Craig DeGeorge yeah. is not on that level. So I had just never seen him before, and then all of a sudden he's on Survivor Series. And I'm like, well, hold up. It's almost like I, I wonder, like, sometimes WWF on the network will not give us the actual theme music because they don't want to pay for stuff. So I was wondering, like, is that a really good announcer? And they just, like, put this picture of this guy over him. But. <laughs> <laughs> he he does look like that type. You're right. Oh man, he's with Honky Tonk Man. This whole middle of the show is like there was supposed to be another match, and they're just trying yeah. to kill like half an hour. In between um, DiBiase and Honky Tonk Man, Ventura and Gorilla just sit and talk for like a, a surprisingly <laughs> yeah. long time. So I do not know what was happening in that time. I'm sure somebody does, but it is a weird little part of the show for sure. Yeah, they had a 30-minute show where they just existed at the announce booth where it's just like, oh, come into our house and let's have a talk. I don't mind that. Like, it's, you know, yeah. they're, they're fun. But, like, it was surprising that so much of the show in the middle was just, yeah, kind of nothing happening sort of for a while. And Honky comes out says, you know, he didn't lose. Line him up, I'll knock him down. And he calls out Hulk Hogan and wants an IC versus world title match. And then that's that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was strange. It makes you think the ring broke or something, and they're just like, shit, we got to, like, fill the time somehow. Because, um, like, what was the point of Honky Tonk Man doing this? Like, it didn't feel like it had any point. It felt like it was just maybe killing some time. And definitely Hogan will not wrestle Honky Tonk Man, maybe ever, that I can think of. So, I don't know. A weird foreshadowing, though, of WrestleMania six. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Just with a different guy, not with Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> yeah, I um, 
I am very much not really a fan of the warrior, but I think probably even the warrior would have been better than Honky Tonk Man in that role. So yeah, Warrior is a example of. I think it'll be very interesting that you can be doing so well as a company that you can plug anything in and and ride it to the top. But I think you're also losing something at the same time and you don't yet see it in that moment. Mm. And whether that be Hogan Light or The Warrior, like there's all these things they can get away with because of the platform they've built. But they don't realize we're dipping and dipping and dipping and dipping as we do. So mm-hmm. yeah. I'm excited to see how that plays out. Indeed, yeah. Eventually we'll get to um, to Sergeant Slaughter, uh, yeah. who I am a fan of, but I think there's a marked difference there between what came before and what's going to come after. So it'll be interesting. I think inside and outside the business, everybody says that WrestleManias 1 through 6 are, what, are something, and then afterwards, something else. Yeah. So, I, this is just... Star-studded is not even enough, like you said. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I listed off the heels. On the face side, we have Hulk Hogan, Bam Bam Bigelow making his first appearance yes. in WWF The Legacy Series, Paul Orndorff, my man, Ken Patera, and uh, was advertised to be superstar Billy Graham as the fifth member of this team, which would have been very interesting. And you talk about your star yes. power. Unfortunately, he is not in any shape. Probably shouldn't have even made the comeback, so he is replaced by Don Morocco here. I am so intrigued by Bam Bam. He has the most interesting career. Like, we'll start WCW, the Legacy Series, a year after this, and he'll be challenging for the U.S. title with Barry Windham. Yeah, for sure. You know, he's in all these places, and he's getting these, like, he's getting a big push all the time that never quite comes to, and then he's gone in somewhere else. And I don't know. I liked Bam Bam and Hogan together. I would say that. Sure. I typically like Bam Bam. I I have a little beef with Bam Bam because people tend to say Vader and Bam Bam in the same sentence. And I don't agree with that. I don't think that that is not accurate, in my opinion. But putting that aside, going down one tier from a guy like Vader, just because they're big guys that do moonsaws doesn't mean they're the same. Um, Going one tier down, though, Bam Bam Bigelow, he is very good, uh, and I always like seeing him. And I always wonder if he had just stayed in one place, yeah, uh, which is something he never seemed to do. What does his career look like? I think maybe it could look very different. I have to think that, too. and I've, I've never investigated him, so I don't know why he always moved around, but he really... There's such a potential. Like, this is a man has gone to main event one of our WrestleManias. You know? So he, had, he has this curious career that was bigger than it seems, I think, but yet not as big as it maybe could have been. It's, it's a weird... Uh, you don't know where to place him. He does not get placed. I wonder how many people would be offended if I placed Vader with Andre. And I'm not even saying that I do or I don't. But if I did that, I bet I would get some responses to the show. But you can place Bam Bam with Vader just because Vader did what he did in WCW. Not so, not so, not so. That's not a knock on uh, Mr. Bam Bam. I was trying to praise him. Sure. But Vader, Vader is out, is uh, otherworldly as well. So For sure. I think, if anything, I think some people might say... Um, Andre doesn't measure up to Vader, uh, and I don't know if I, I mean, honestly, I'd probably go with Vader over Andre, but, uh, they're totally different things, so it's not quite a, a fair comparison, just because they're both yeah. big, like, they're valuable in just incredibly different ways. Well, that's the same thing with Bam Bam, because, you know, you'll see Bam Bam do these roll-unders, 
you know, Bam Bam and Vader were put together because they both, like, did more than stand still or walk. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's one thing, but that doesn't tie them forever together as, you know, Bam Bam was, you know, in ECW, Bam Bam was Vader, maybe. Yeah, no. that, that might be true. <laughs> I can't stop offending people. I don't know how to say this without. <laughs> uh, uh, Bam Bam is not Vader. They're two different human beings, and that's all I have to say about it. Ignore everything else. <laughs> don't ignore what I say. I, I will take Vader above every big man that ever was, and I, I, I think that's like very clear on his face. Like I don't have a big conversation about that. The only one maybe put up there is Andre. And just because he brings something different, he brings a different right. kind of just like spectacle and aura. Um, but when the bell rings, you're not going to beat Vader as far as big men go. And if that offends you, I guess I'm sorry that you're wrong. <laughs> and uh, we can talk about it, but I don't think you're going to convince me. So. Yeah. Vader feels so far away right now, but he will actually be with us eventually. He will. He will. Yeah. It's weird because, like, almost everybody is going to be here eventually. So, I don't know. We'll get to yeah. talk about a lot of legacies on this series. Hogan, I, I found a new Hulk Hogan motto that seems to always creep into every single situation. Okay. He says, there are no rules when. And you can fill in a different win for every pay-per-view, every show. But he always has an excuse for now there are no rules. Now we're calling it off. Now we're going to do whatever. So there never are rules to begin with because there's always a reason the rules are called off. But he always sends that shot out. And then he's about Bam Bam, he says, uh, we got the fire just in case we have to burn the whole thing down. Yes. Bigelow says that they will burn the building down. Um, <sighs> so that, that's something that uh, Bigelow shared. One thing. Um, you're so right that, yeah, Hogan, I don't know when this started because I don't think it was always true, but he's definitely reached the point where every feud, there's a reason why the rules are out the window, and that will eventually become a parody of itself. Like I've mentioned before, with Sergeant Slaughter and The Undertaker, we'd be talking about, like, dead children and just, like, all these crazy imaginary things that justify anything he wants to do. We're not there yet. We're in a, we're in a place where uh, at least maybe – you can decide, okay, well, he's just throwing the rules out this one time, and it's not, but he can maybe fool you. Yeah, at least he leaves before he comes back, at least in this era. <laughs> <laughs> Very true, yeah. Um, weird fashion choice by Hogan also, the bandana with, like, yeah. the frills down in his face, like, like a veil <laughs> or something. I don't know. Hogan did some weird stuff, and who was going to stop him? He's Hogan, so I assume at this point he was pretty much unstoppable. Yeah, and this is the 80s, the 80s like shredded castle like <laughs> uh, things, and Hulk Hogan just has his whole face blocked off. But again, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing that's fully formed in this era. You know, he's, even Hulk Hogan can come out differently. He can behave differently. <laughs> he can dress differently. You know, nothing is straight form, and and think, I'm thankful for that. There's a time, and I don't know if we'll see it or not, because I don't remember what show it happens on, but there's a little period where Hogan wears, like, this helmet with, like, a fist coming out of it. And I think it just, it's like, this is probably just, like, a Hogan thing, and, like, he thought he would do this. And we know from WCW that Hogan's ideas are sometimes very stupid, but he'll just do them because he's Hogan at this point, and you really, I think, can't tell him, oh, Hogan, you probably shouldn't do that. I don't, I think the point is past where you can tell Hogan that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I agree 100%. <laughs> 
this is, I hit, this is, you know, towards hour three, this is towards the end of the show, but even the, on paper, like, I had a comeback, like, with my excitement for this matchup. Yeah. And it lives up to it. It does? Like so I said, Hogan, this is my favorite match on the show, so yeah. That surprises me, and it, not not in a bad way or a good way, but I, I need to think about this. It might be my favorite as well. Yeah. I thought, on paper, I thought I might have gone for the uh, tag match, but I actually think I like this one a little bit better. So, if think, only because I really love the ending stretch a lot. I think uh, it's very unique, and I really appreciate what it is. And listen to the crowd. When, oh, yeah. I, oh God, I don't know. These sustained reactions where when Hogan and Andre, it'll be like a five minute where the fans are just screaming at the top of their lungs and they don't stop. Yeah. Yeah, they tease them being uh, in the same ring early on. And uh, once again, just like uh, in that Battle Royal, they kind of like uh, deviate away from it and they don't actually give a lot of Andre and Hogan. But every time they're even close to each other, yeah, the roof is coming off. Like the fans are just nuts. Yeah, and I will say one thing really quick. Hulk Hogan comes out with the flag, and in 1993, I am going to take a gigantic fucking bulldozer to the idea that Lex Luger is a disappointment because he didn't get the All-American gimmick over. We are going to walk through a world where the number one thing that was idiotic was the gimmick WWF gave him. The second worst thing was the stupid booking they did. And then number three is Lex Luger. We are going to bulldoze an entire universe that just lives and persists. And I saw all of that when Hulk Hogan walked out because the thing I saw was there's Hulk Hogan holding an American flag. Mm. Hulk Hogan is not the American flag. The American flag is not Hulk Hogan. He is holding an American flag. And that by itself is the end of the Lex Luger story. But that's for another time. That's <laughs> for another time, for sure. Uh, also, time and place. I think 1987 is a time we're holding the American flag. Um, yes. We'll do more, a lot more for you than 1993. So... Uh, Thank you for that, because Lex Luger is number four. Mm-hmm. Content, the context in the world is not is also above that, so Absolutely. thank you for that. You you got it. We're going to talk a lot about that when we get to it. Um, but, yeah, now these are all-star teams. Uh, when they're coming out, I, I think Benjamin Button said King Kong Bundy was supposed to be a co-captain of his team, and if that was ever mentioned, it didn't come across to me. Um, so even though he gets to stay in the match for a long time, which I'm glad about, uh, when the other heels are coming out, it's Rick Rude who's getting the music played. So I mm. think uh, Bundy is not not necessarily at the top of this pack, which is too bad. Yeah, he'll, like you say, he'll have a good showing, but you know he's never going to get back to where he was. I don't think. Unfortunately, not. Uh, another nice touch, Jesse Ventura. Another line from him: "It's that nasty little Joey Morella as the referee again, just like at WrestleMania 3. So again, shouting at Joey Morello, which I will always do, and uh, Ventura pointing that out, making that great reference, talking about uh, that controversy once again. Yes. Here's the difference between errors I watch and errors I skip. In in both of the errors, I see things, and I'm like, oh, my God. And like I just saw, oh, my God, Joey Morello is a referee. In the errors I skip, the announcers don't seem to understand this. In the eras that I watch, they not only point it out, but they build on it. And I think Je- Gorilla Monsoon says, look who the referee is. And then Jesse goes into that. That's that nasty. And 
the way they're treating Hogan and Andre, the enormity, the lingering, the weight, they're also doing it with the referee. And it's consistent and it's background before it becomes foreground. And details matter. Everything is done right. And then when it's done right, it's payoff, 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 payoff. And you're just rewarded eternally as a wrestling fan. So I'll, I'll go with this. Absolutely. I'm glad that you said that because, yeah, it's very important to me also that um, that the things I notice are the things that are important to the actual company, you know, that they also notice these things and they're not just quiet about them. One of my least favorite things is any era where the referees don't have names, don't have personalities, mm. uh, can't exist uh, apart from just quietly being the referee. I, I always dislike that. That's a really smart take. And I think sometimes we forget that because that persists a lot of times, but that is, that is su- such a fair take and it, it matters on, in a lot of ways. Mm. It does. It, it's the details. It's making the world feel like a real world and not like a yes. weird bubble that doesn't have any <laughs> air in it. So Yes. 100%. This is one I almost paused because it's like, this shit is so consequential that I'm almost afraid to like see what's going to happen. <laughs> and that, that's where you want it to be. Yeah, it's big. It's big. Here's a big thing. Paul Orndorff on the same team with Hulk Hogan again. Yes. That's big to me. That speaks a lot to where they were a year ago. Now they can coexist again, and they coexisted once before. So Hogan showing some, showing some trust in a guy who uh, betrayed him in a pretty big way at one time. And Jesse Ventura says, like, how do they know they can trust Orndorff? Yeah, it's a great question. Ventura, too, bring it up like, um, you know, you don't know for sure that your teammates aren't going to go after you, especially if you're a champion or something. That comes up uh, a little bit, uh, a few times, so it's it's well worth thinking about. Hogan, again, is faster in this match. He's more collaborative. Like, he'll tag in and duck down so someone has to jump over him to set up a slam. Yeah. He'll push Bam Bam down on a splash or headbutt. So, it's again, it's a Hulk Hogan who you cannot put in a certain category. You know, he, he's using just as much energy as the uh, so-called lesser among him, as if he is also, you know, part of this and not above it. Mm. People talk a lot. Um, of course, there's a lot of debate now about like quote unquote part-time wrestlers, particularly in the WWE, mm. who just come in occasionally and are sort of above everything. And you can like that or you can not like that. But I think one argument that is often used, like, well, Hulk Hogan, uh, he didn't come to every show and he didn't wrestle every week and he was a big star, so we should do stuff like that again. And I'll say there's something to that, but one big difference to me is when Hulk Hogan does show up, he, especially in this era, is so connected to everything that is going on, to everything around him. He is interacting with all of it. He is part of that world. He is part of the fabric. He is present in other ways besides just like coming out and wrestling a match every week. And that, I think, is really essential to being part of what makes a role like this successful. And if you're not doing that, then I think you are letting people down in some ways. And I think that's why you get a lot of resistance um, to that trope being present in the modern day. Absolutely. I agree with that. Hogan involves himself in everything. I would also just say, please, uh, if, if that's your argument, look at the house show schedule in this era. Yes. And, yes. Thank you, know, you. 
this is the most rugged uh, just about as it's ever going to be. And don't tell me Hulk Hogan's not part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Hogan working overtime like this. This is where he was working uh, so that he could be lazy, you know, later. But like yeah. he wasn't doing it now. He was absolutely working his ass off an incredible schedule. So absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in here. Orndorff, I always talk about, is great. One of my favorites. He has a great showing here. Um, Butch Reed is the first guy eliminated, which is really too bad because uh, I love Butch Reed. I thought he was looking good for the time that he is in this match, so I got to show some respect to him as well. It's always sad in these matches. And it just shows how, how much talent. Like, whoever got eliminated first, I was like, oh, man. But, like... Half the half the half the rosters that would have been like that no matter who it was you know so <laughs> it's true especially in this match yeah like um I I I at least said something good about everyone in this match I think uh, especially in this time and place I say this Ken Patera um doesn't get to do a whole lot I think he's out first on the face side and I'll just say poor Ken Patera you know he 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 went to jail. And, you know, maybe he should have because he did do a crime, but he came back. He was going to get another chance, and he blew out his arm terribly, mm. like, very early into his comeback run. And he's back in this match, and you can see he's got, like, a big brace on his arm. And he was never really the same, and the company never really trusted him again, and we probably will not see him a lot after this. So I will say poor Ken Patera. Uh, who was an incredible talent in his time. Do you know he's the guy who retired Gorilla Monsoon? I did not know that. Yeah, oh he God. retired him in 1980. I just watched that match recently, and it's great. So I got a lot of love for Ken Patera. This is not prime Ken Patera. Uh, you want blonde Ken Patera, not brown-haired Ken Patera. So that, that'll be the deciding factor for you if you ever check out the guy. I will say this. I apologize to any listener who appreciated somebody before this error and they hear me say something that's unfair. Those are the times that I will say what I said was probably unfair because you only know what you know. And so like with him, I was thinking this guy reminds me of Richard Simmons. I don't think I like him. <laughs> and you know, he retired fucking Gorilla Monsoon. Like that bad is on me. It's not on him. It's on me. And I think that's a difference in this show. Like, I like to be free. We're not getting paid for this. So the only fun of it is just to be able to let go and say the things that you say. And But I will admit that half the takes that I have is about someone who had their top run before I ever watched. I'm probably wrong about it. <laughs> I'm still going to say what I see because how else can you do the show? Right. But I will also turn around and tell you I am probably wrong about it. I think it's especially true in this era because so many of these guys were cherry picked out of their territories or out of the circuit mm. where they had maybe already done their best work. They had already made a big name, had a lot of experience. Now they come, they get the big paychecks. They're probably not doing their best work. Um, junkyard dog, I think is still around somewhere or he left and he'll come back. Uh, he's a guy who like, in the WWF, there's nothing to his matches. Like, he's barking and he's crawling and it's like, whatever. Like, he's charismatic. Cool. That's what he does. I watched a match of his from, like, 1982, and he looked like a different person. Like, I couldn't believe how uh, athletic and explosive this guy was and the things that he could do. Uh, Jim Duggan is another one. You ask anybody who's watched uh, Mid-South, and they'll say, Jim Duggan pre-WWF is like 
totally different. Like, there's a reason people thought, hey, this guy could be like a Hulk Hogan type because uh, he was just totally different. Uh, Benjamin Button has already said, like Jake Roberts, he watched him before WWF, yeah. before the injury with Honky Tonk Man. He's a different guy in the ring. Uh, and on and on and on. I just watched an Adrian Adonis Jesse Ventura tag um, just a couple days ago from 1982. And Adonis, I mean, he was great even in the WWF, but like probably half the size that he was at that time. And just uh, he was incredible, you know. So so many of these guys, what they are in the WWF is not necessarily uh, who they were at their best and that just it is the way it is and you're right we can't know everything you can't always get the full picture but i'm glad you said that because it's something obviously that's dear and dear to me because i just uh, went on a big rant about it so thank you for letting me do that no anytime you need to do that benjamin buttons called us out a few times very uh uh gently and i appreciate those <laughs> things you know because i would be offended you know i i just said how i'm gonna go off and not like Lex Luger is determined to be um, – well, he was never over because he didn't get over as the All-American, and he will be the most popular guy in an era where Stone Cold Steve Austin is emerging in 1997. Mm-hmm. But nobody can have that conversation. Uh, if I said, oh, well, I know all about Hulk Hogan. I started watching him in 90 or 92 or 94. Clearly I'm wrong there. you know. So again and again and again, and I want these people to have their respect. But, you know, all we can do is all we can do. Ms. Fan will sometimes be able to say, hey, I saw them when you didn't. Sometimes our listeners will. But I just wanted to I wanted to point that out because I want to be as fair as we can, but also live in the reality of we only have so much time and we only see what we see. Yeah, that's true. This is WWF the Legacy Series. Yes. As much as I'd love to cover every beautiful territory of every time and place, uh, you know, there's a good chance that that will never happen for a lot of reasons, for time, for availability of that footage. Uh, it is what it is. You can't see everything, so uh, we'll, we'll just do our best. Um, here's an interesting thing to me. Uh, we have Rick Rude in this match, our first look at him. Uh, we both, I think, had a little beef with Rick Rude um, because I think he's very charismatic. He's got a great look. He's got a great character. He really leans into it. He does some things really well. I am not super excited by a lot of his matches because especially in a singles match he has a tendency um to kind of phone it in and uh, people remember the times that he didn't like the miracles he worked with ultimate warrior that kind of stuff and fair point to it um we'll get to all that what i want to say here is you see rick rude and hulk hogan interacting which is interesting because you almost never see that and the reason why i think they had one house show match together for the title, and I think it was probably a little bit after this, they had one house show match, and Rick Rude breaks a wooden chair over Hulk Hogan's head so horrifically, and I have seen this, and it's very horrific, that I think Hulk Hogan said he would never work with him again. So that's a very, very weird piece of history that I really wanted to share here. And there's two different people, and nobody's right or wrong. There's somebody. There are some people that are gonna like Rick Rude more for that, and then there right. are people like me who are not attracted to that and think, "What a fucking idiot <laughs> uh, to do that." Right. Um, it's so bizarre. So I don't know why that happened, and I don't know. I think we'll see some very good things out of Rick Rude, and I think we'll see some things that we are not a fan of. Um, but he's a he's an interesting guy, uh, and his career also is kind of weird. So we'll have to watch and see what comes of him. I think he's a legit tough guy who has an attitude problem, so some of that mm-hmm. makes sense. Uh, I do think there'll be times where, where we praise him, but I also think 
in some way he is almost the heel to the ultimate warrior as far as you got all these great talents, but they all look a certain way. Like right now they're like wide bodybuilding looking guys. And then here comes the leaner cut and the leaner cut has to be better than the thing that came before it. And neither one of them are going to rise to the level of the top baby face or heel. I think that came before and, and some that will come after. Not quite, but they are upper tier. Both yeah, they are. I, would say. Yeah, I mean, so. they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're promoted to the top. I just don't, I don't think rude is, let's say, uh, heel savage or Andre, and I don't think Warrior is Hogan. No, you know. yeah, they are not quite. Uh, they don't quite make it there. But and that's I, I and I could be wrong about some of this. this. Is going to be interesting to me if I'm enjoying all of this and it has an objective like height that future times will not have. When will that start to change? And I don't really know yet. I don't know either. It's going to be interesting to watch it go on. Uh, also very interesting. Uh, this is where the match really gets interesting to me. Uh, I think it's good before this, but Hulk Hogan incredibly is eliminated kind of in the middle of the pack here. And th- this is one of those times where I think it's very interesting to see who does survive because Hogan goes out uh, on a count out. He's fighting King Kong Bundy, who is not the legal man, so he doesn't even get eliminated. Leaves Bigelow alone against three enormous guys, Andre Bundy and One Man Gang. So it's a big opportunity for Bigelow. It's a big opportunity uh, to see something different. And, of course, it's an opportunity to see Hogan uh, march out of the arena only after he's been, like, threatened by the referee (laughs) and (laughs) just being totally petulant and uh, totally throwing a tantrum. So... Um, but yeah, it's very bold, I think, to put Hogan out of this match at this point. It's again, the booking is so much better. I will culminate this from my perspective at WrestleMania 4 in all the ways they could have went gone wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's every single time that I expect them to either go wrong or just go normative, like, that stuff's not there yet, and the decisions are so much better. This is akin to Hogan being dominated by Andre in the Battle Royal and being thrown out. It just makes it so much better. And this is also my confession because Andre's the legal man. Hogan is dealing with Bundy and the one-man gang on the floor. And I want to tell you something right now. I was sitting there and I was watching it. And yes, I was excited that he was going to be eliminated because it's just the right thing to do as we build back to Andre and Hulk Hogan. But then something happened. That I could not control. It was outside of my control. What could I have done if I couldn't have controlled it? I did not say it with my mouth. If I had said it with my mouth, then it would have been within my control. I didn't even think it in my head. If I had, then maybe it would have been in my control. But in my spirit, in the center of my chest, where all my energy was, Hulk Hogan was on the floor with Bundy, he was on the floor with a one-man gang, and my spirit screamed out, slam them! And I thought, oh my god, I want to see Hulk Hogan slam someone. That is the height of professional wrestling. My spirit cried out, and then I was like, what the hell is going on? Because nothing offends me more than the Hulk Hogan body slam. How simplistic, how nothing, and he's going to do it, and I'm excited, and my spirit is leaping. What is going on right now? There it is. There it is. 30 years as a wrestling fan, I've never desired it. And I still didn't desire it, but my spirit leapt at the thought of Hulk Hogan slamming these men on the floor and doing his Hulk Hogan thing. 1987 is a scary, scary place. 
it's Hulk Hogan has become a lot of things. He's become a symbol of a lot of uh, bad things to a lot of people, and uh, a lot of times with good reason. He's become a joke to a lot of other people. He's sort of a punchline if you want to make a, a joke about a certain kind of thing. But man, Hogan in the '80s. I'll say it again. I've said it before. Um, it, it will transform your opinion of this guy if you look closely enough. I really believe that. I will never forget watching in um, AWA when uh, Hogan's star was first blowing up. Do you remember a few years ago when uh, Daniel Bryan became so popular that people were like chanting his name yes. even when he was not out there? That was Hogan. I would watch like a random AWA match that had nothing to do with Hogan and people were just screaming, we want the Hulk, we want the Hulk, like, tirelessly. Like, the, the effect this guy has to excite people when he's truly at his prime, and I think that is the 80s, is just ridiculous. You cannot overstate it enough. He can even convert kind of diehard anti-Hogan people yeah. like you and me. So, like, it's pretty incredible what he can do when he is truly at his prime. Well, yeah. I like that term effect uh, to excite because this is the difference between this. Hulk Hogan will behave the same in the 80s and the 90s, but in the 80s, the fans and the energy and the spirit and the mood and the just everything that lives that we don't even realize is in tandem and doing it with him. Whereas later on, he's kind of naked doing it without anything else in support. And it looks a little differently that that way. But I cannot like what I said was, of course, a hyped version, but that that is what happened is that I wasn't thinking it. I wasn't wanting it. But like in my chest, it was just just like, oh, my God, he's going to slam them. It was like super exciting. And like I've watched this man for 30 years. I've never cared about anything that he's done like that. But it's the spirit of the thing. It's the avalanche. It's the mood and the momentum and just the reality that at this time he was as good as, you know, people would claim he was. And. Maybe that's what we're learning about all of these guys. Like very few of them, very few got to where they are without being that good at some point. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I will say, I think one other difference between Hogan in the eighties and Hogan in the nineties is um, we've talked before. I want to make sure I use this right. But we've talked about felt sense. I think Hogan in the eighties is acting out of a felt sense, mm -hmm. out of a kind of instinct and it's something very authentic, and it's raw, and he's kind of trusting himself to do the right things to get over with the fans, to connect with them. He's running with the ball. I think when you get into the 90s, um, it becomes habit. It becomes set. It yeah. becomes something that he is no longer actively engaging in. He's going through the motions to a certain extent, and that uh, is where I think a lot of the energy goes away. Even if he's doing the same things, the, the motivation, the feeling behind them is just not the same. That is so astute. He is running with the era that he is in. He's not ahead of it. It's not ahead of him. They are emerging together at the same time. And it's like when he puts a foot forward, like what is the weight of that? Okay, that felt right. And the error goes with him. And then they take a step together and they go together. Like, even in the height of this, if he had turned around, slammed both of them, got, got, rolled in the ring, slammed Andre, pinned Andre, 
even whatever leapt within me that was out of my control would not have been leaping anymore. Right. We just crucified the next fucking year for our Survivor Series match. But that's not what Hulk Hogan does at this time. Hulk Hogan loses in this time. Hulk Hogan fails in this time. There are things that are as big, if not bigger, than Hulk Hogan, and he is running alongside it. He's not out in front of it, sitting in a chair waiting for it to catch up. He is running alongside of with it, and it is real, and it is alive, and it is something to witness. Mm, yeah, I think being set in your patterns uh, is something that it can really be death to like your creativity and your energy. And I think that's why when he became Hollywood, uh, he was so good again for a while, at least, because he had yeah. to totally break his patterns. He had to feel out something new all over again and you can see how much energy goes into him compared to before so i don't know yeah there's just something about that that really speaks to me when i look uh, at this time and place i do, oh man <laughs> this stuff needs to be like kind of put aside to be remembered because <laughs> there, there are like truths being unpacked because there's, there's a there's a uh, narrative that goes with wwf that no matter who your top guy is they they eventually become habitual and boring. It's like the five uh, moves of doom or whatever sure, that yep. you not just Hogan and Cena, but you can say the same thing sometimes about Bret Hart and others. Absolutely. And when you just said that, I just had a thought that I have never had before, which is after Steve Austin, WWF decided we're never going to have a talent like The Rock and Austin and Hogan and that we have to uh, be afraid of losing. The new superstar is going to be the WWE brand. Well, if every top wrestler becomes habitual and boring and five moves of doom and predictable, and then you make your company the top star, and then your company becomes habitual and boring and five moves of doom, I think that's what happened. Mm. That's a scary thought. Yeah, pressing pressing everything into the same mold is definitely um, part of my problem. With WWE uh, in the past um, 10, 20 years, you know, uh, to to a greater or lesser extent. So, so yeah, you really may be onto something there. It's just interesting with what you can predict and what you can't. And there's so many good reasons. It didn't happen directly after Austin, but it became – it's the thing that emerged eventually, right. you know, that WWE is a star. Like People in the business and out of the business have said that. And it's just, yeah, you're safe now, but the problem is you're safe now. Right. And that's something like Hulk Hogan played it safe in the 90s and he did not play it safe in the 80s. Yeah. And I, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is why. And um, I, we spent a lot of time talking down to uh, modern WWE. And I actually quite like some of the stuff that they've done in the past uh, 20 years, more so than you, I think, um, is fair to say. But oftentimes it seems like when they're at their best is when something unexpected happens and they are also forced to break their pattern, to do something unexpected. Yes. Uh, and it's almost like their hand has to be forced a lot of the time. But when you see that, I think you see, like, little flashes still of that energy and that excitement. So, like, it's there. It can exist. It just seems like sometimes they just prefer not to do it. Um, yeah. So, and I do yeah. – I, I appreciate the opportunity to clarify because I am not saying in 20 years they haven't done anything worthwhile. Sure. You know. Sometimes I mix up my fandom of what I really stopped watching with just making that statement. But, you know, you get the point of, like, the Daniel Bryan movement. Like, how alive is that? How rich? How unpredictable? Right. But that's not the direction that they were going to go. And they always end up choosing uh, the other thing. 
And it's hard to explain to people, like, really, what you were watching with Daniel Bryan is also kind of what Hulk Hogan was. Like, it was not this controlled, uh, predictable force. It was unruly. But but the times that they allow or have to go with the unruly is when it really like, escalates to its best uh, product. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that was quite a tangent. I'm glad we went on it. But I think uh, maybe we need to go back to Bigelow because he is trapped yeah. in the ring with three giants, with Bundy, Andre, and one man going. Um, and I'll say I really like this finishing stretch because it is very different. Like, in what other time or place would a guy like Bigelow have gotten to outlast Hogan to get to mm-hmm. go three-on-one with these giants and uh, make such a great showing of himself? You know, there, there's some times when I think that couldn't have happened, and uh, I'm really glad it did here because it was a very good uh, finishing stretch for the match. It is. One Man Gang is out of gas and dead on the top rope, if you look at him <laughs> at the beginning of this. <laughs> I, but- one Man Gang... Um, some people I think rate him highly as a big guy. I've never really been into him. Like Akeem is kind of fun, but I don't know. Like compared to Bundy and Andre, like he's not in the same conversation. I, I don't think. He's more. No, he's he's on that other tier that we were talking about earlier. But to me, it's weird because I'm a WCW guy, but I like Akeem a lot, and I like him better than One Man Gang. You know, <laughs> which is weird. Bruce Pritchard likes One Man Gang better. You know, so what in the world? But like. When I was a kid, I had this Saturday. Well, me and my brother watched the Saturday night main, best of Saturday night main event, and it was Akeem and Bossman beating up Hogan, and we watched it probably a hundred times, maybe ah. a hundred times. <laughs> Where they handcuff him to the the yeah. railing, and yeah, oh, iconic, iconic. That stuff is so colorful and so good. So I'll give him that. This is not to me. He didn't appeal. He was the weakest link uh, in this last little part to me, but yeah, uh, he'll have his moments. But yeah, I take your point. This is ridiculously good that Bam Bam Bigelow gets to have his moment here. Yeah, I mean, you would never think in an era uh, of such entrenched Hoganism that Bigelow would get to uh, kind of run this final stretch. And he does pin Bundy. He does pin uh, One Man Gang. He makes it all the way to Andre. And I think that's super cool. He goes toe-to-toe with Andre. He can't quite get the win over him. But Bigelow looks great here. And, I, you know, in a different world... This is a guy who's destined for really big things really right away. But like you say, in a year, he won't even be here. A lot sooner mm. than that, actually. Yeah, and, and Andre puts the old butterfly suplex or whatever it is on him. And just, <laughs> yeah, Andre. I love it. And here again, Andre, like, you know, the narrative, oh, he's so broken down. He can't yeah. do anything. He can't move. Andre can do very little and make it mean so much, in my opinion. Like, I will be championing Andre all the way down to the Colossal Connection, where he just stands on the apron and, like, does one move. And he's fucking Andre. I buy it. He can, like, hit you with his finger, and, yeah, that'll probably be, like, a Superman punch from somebody else. So I, I will buy into Andre a lot longer than some people do, apparently. I thought he did everything he needed to in this match. Yeah, absolutely. It may make your company vulnerable, but if you're willing to be character-driven and character-first, that forgives a multitude of sins. Uh, Undertaker, I think, recently came out and said wrestling is storytelling, and the moves are pretty much like you know part of the storytelling. So, like, do they do they do they tell the story or not? And you know, probably talking about his recent matchup with AJ, but it's the same thing here. Like, what the fuck do you need Andre to do other than be Andre the Giant? Mm, yeah, yeah. Good stuff, man. This is 
it's, 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 a, it's a nice run. Bam Bam also gets the fans back. They're a little bit flat when Hogan disappears. I think they're a little shocked. And yeah. so I think he wins them back one pin at a time. But again, it's not about you, Bam Bam. You had a great run, and it's a great jumping off point if you maybe if you had stayed. But this is another reminder that when Hulk Hogan and Andre come together, more times than not, Andre the Giant gets the best of Hulk Hogan, and he still might be the better man. <laughs> yeah, you say he might uh, get the best of him, but there's a little something that uh, goes the other way here because yeah. right after the match is done, and this 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 will turn around quick. Your idea of uh, wanting him to slam somebody, I think. Hogan yeah. runs out and completely cheap shots Andre with the championship belt, just blindsides him from behind, completely cowardly. Andre didn't even cheat to win this match. Hogan was eliminated fairly, but Hogan doesn't care. He's going to come out. He's going to take his cheap shots. Ventura is going to call him a sore loser, and he's going to be right. And uh, Hogan is just going to pose pose the day away because the rule is Hogan must pose. And you know yeah. what? The fans, they loved it. So you can't completely be against it. But, man, this is babyface privilege to the max. Yeah, this is the closest I felt to the Hulk Hogan I remember since we started doing this series. <laughs> he's coming, I'm afraid. It's going to be a few years, thankfully, before he's really here. But, you know, he's he's walking down that path, I'm afraid. Because there's a moment before he leaves. They have to have multiple referees and Howard Finkel announcing that if Hogan doesn't leave, his team is going to forfeit the match. And he kind of looks at Bam Bam. He's not fully decided yet. It's almost like, you know, <laughs> you better do something with this because I'm granting it. And... <laughs> How fast he comes out makes me think he didn't even go behind the curtain. Like he's already he's just on the like in the rampway waiting. Uh, yeah, no, I I can totally see that. He's like, mm, we could just get the DQ and then I can just beat up everyone right now. So, oh well, yeah, I can totally see that. Here's what I love: um, Gorilla Monsoon taking shots at his own credibility because Ventura is like, oh, he's just being a sore loser, and Monsoon says, well, when you've got adrenaline and a vendetta. <laughs> it's okay, pretty much. So those are the rules, I guess. Like, if yeah. you have adrenaline and you have a vendetta, you can do anything you want. So why are they always complaining about the heels? They have adrenaline, they have vendettas. I'm just yeah. saying. I need to write that down because I've had those things in life and I didn't know what I was allowed to do with it. <laughs> anything. You can do anything. You can do anything wow. You want. Adrenaline plus vendetta. I got it written down. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, all right. Oh, really? That that's so. If Gorilla Monsoon though can say that stuff with a nod and a wink, whereas Vincent Man will say it like you know it would be unjust if he had done anything but that. <laughs> yeah, he can say it with like a holy crusade in his eyes, like yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, Monsoon is why. just uh, he's just more chill than Vince. Vince is so intense. I can't handle him sometimes. I don't. I wasn't even ten years old, and I was a Bobby Heenan fan and not a Hulk Hogan fan because. I watched stuff like that, and I thought, like, you don't get to just do that. And then uh, we end the show not with Hulk Hogan posing. We end it with Andre and Bobby, and Bobby says, Hogan, you couldn't take it, you miserable human. And I'm like, that is so good. That's so old. <laughs> it is. And once again, and he said this before, Hogan, if you want Andre, sign a match, a title match, you know, sign on the dotted line. It's like, yeah, why does Hogan need – to come take these cheap shots. Like, Andre was offering to wrestle you this whole time, but you just, uh, I don't know where you were. You know, you were somewhere else, so. I love how much everybody has their own worldview. Yeah. Yeah, because you're, you're just sitting there listening to Grill Monsoon say what you said he said while Hogan poses and the fans cheer it, 
And you think, oh, well, was all, that was always the right answer, and that was always the story. Right. And then we're right back to Bobby and Andre, and it's back to a worldview that completely opposes that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everyone is totally bought in to everything they're saying. It's great. It goes up and down the line because, once again, we get one of my favorite Ventura-isms that just happens again and again. Every time Hogan is, like, doing this, he's like, I'm going to come out of retirement. I'm going to beat Hulk Hogan for the title. And, of course, he never does. But, like, even he is, like, totally bought in to his own narrative, to his own worldview. So it really goes up and down the the whole board. That is rich. I like that a lot. And that, to me, strikes me, though, is, you know, for me personally as a fan, I want them to be larger than life because if people wrestle for a living, it just seems like they, they probably are not like fully to get that far. How like you can't be that plugged in with reality. You have to think that you're everyone has to think they're Hulk Hogan for to even get that far. And I like I like the absurdity plus logic uh, combo that somehow exists with everybody. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, and again, it's sort of that weird, not realism, but uh, authenticity that yes. they have because real people probably couldn't exist this way. But there's like a kernel of authentic feeling in here that really carries the day and it brings it all across in just about the perfect way. I could not say that any better, but that that's at the heart of everything. That's good. This is and this is not even a knock on other eras. This is just how good this era is. If this was the week before WrestleMania, most of the time you couldn't be this hot going into WrestleMania, and this is six months prior. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Uh, I love this era. There's so much good stuff in here. We are entering the part that I have been waiting for since we started the original WWF back in whenever we did it, which is I am very curious about this Ted DiBiase referee, Andre, uh, world title WrestleMania for this whole six month run. I've seen it before, but it's probably been since I was a kid. And back then it was so colorful, so special, so majestic. And I don't know how it will hold up one way or the other, but it's what I have been waiting for personally. And I'm nervous and excited uh, to be uh, at the gate of uh, this next stretch of WWF, the legacy series. Absolutely. So we will be back next time after a great survivor series. Now, it's, this is a great survivor series. Wouldn't you say it, is. it absolutely great. is. Uh, we'll be back with a Saturday night's main event. I believe we will see Randy Savage taking on Brad Hart one-on-one. <laughs> so that will be a big opportunity to see how close Brad Hart is to what he is going to be. We will see if you can believe it, a rematch from WrestleMania 2, King Kong Bundy against Hulk Hogan. That's some big news right there. We're going to see Bam Bam Bigelow taking on Hercules. That should be a great one as well. I'm very This is going to be a good uh, Saturday Night's Main Event, I think. You don't get to be this good without being this good is what I'm learning from this era. <laughs> That's it's, it's very well deserved, right? I'd watch that over a lot of top pay-per-views in a lot of different times. Absolutely. Yeah, it sounds great to me, no doubt. Dear God. Ah, and every match is completely different, but I'm interested for different reasons. <laughs> well, the fourth match is uh, George Steele versus Danny Davis, so I don't know if that affects your up and down. But uh, yeah. even that, I don't know, it could be interesting. I don't know what yeah. to expect. Yes, I do. George Steele will bite things, and Danny Davis will be uh, afraid of him, but still, yeah. it should be fun. And the fans will cheer the wrong person. They, <laughs> they will cheer <laughs> the kidnapping, uh, biting, green tongue guy. So, yeah, uh-huh. you got it. 
that's Saturday night's main event, folks. That is, I believe, a, about a one-hour show. And look what is packed into that show. We are on the road to WrestleMania 4. We are on the road to the rise of Macho Man Randy Savage. We are on the road to what I think is going to be one of the most complicated decisions and yet one of the best uh, in what will come out of this. How in the world do we move from Hogan Andre to Savage Ted DiBiase? Only time will tell. I am excited for WWF The Legacy Series. It's going to be great stuff. And the road to WrestleMania 4 is thick. We have at least one other Saturday night's main event. We have a, a special event just called The Main Event, which will be mm. Hogan versus Andre. We yeah. have the Royal Rumble. We have just tons of great stuff. And it's all going to lead us up to WrestleMania 4. One of the most story-driven WrestleManias of all time. I'm excited. I think everyone should be excited because this is great stuff. Yes. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for engaging. I'm looking forward to the forums being back up one day. They are already, in fact. Oh. Yeah. Check them out. (laughs) How long have they been up? Uh, They didn't actually go down too long. Maybe a day at most. So check it it out. There's probably uh, some good comments you didn't see already. So. Is it a different address? Uh, LOPforums.com works for me. If you had it, there was like a .tv address that I think doesn't necessarily work anymore. I'll I send it to you if you can't get to com. it. Like even right now, I type I get this site is currently inactive on the Bulletin Cloud. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know why it, it redirects to that. Try um, and this will be helpful to anyone else who didn't know how to get back to the forums. Try LordsOfPain.tv, and hopefully that might work. You know what? I don't know why this is, but I'll send you some oh. links, and uh, I will post links on Twitter as well if you're yes. having trouble getting to the site, because the forums are up, and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on there right now. So um, please do check that out. Also, Lord, uh, WrestlingHeadlines.com is our main page. A lot of good stuff there. A lot of great podcasts on the LOP Radio channel. Um, so keep an eye out for all that great stuff. Uh, I think that's everything. So uh, until next time, Mystic, please take us home. Absolutely. Don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature. Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But 
there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared Discovered oh.